we've been talking about talking about this for a while, but psychedelics, both something that interests us. And I think it's kind of getting more attention and just like the mainstream consciousness. But this weekend had a probably one of my more powerful psychedelic experiences I've had. Took a uh, pretty high dose of acid. How high? So it was five tabs of... Ooh, this good man's crazy. He's a madman. <laughs> Again, I never know um, like how standardized acid is. Like, how, like, are all tabs the same or some stronger than others? So I don't know, five, five tabs of, I guess I'd say, average acid from my experience. Um, it was a lot. And I also did it later than usual. I usually like to try starting earlier in the morning, or not earlier in the morning, but like around noon because it lasts so long. But I started it after work, so I started at like 6 o'clock on a Friday. And yeah, it was definitely an experience. Um, I think I was up until like 7 a.m. So a lot to go through. But my main intention, like I've been getting into music a lot the past year and a half playing music and things. So the original intention was to kind of just deepen my connection with music. The, the plan was to listen to some of my favorite artists, like listen to a bunch of their albums in order. Mm-hmm. And I started the trip out that way is really good. I got through like three hours of music and then things kind of went off the rails. Um, the biggest thing, like the biggest takeaway was just like, I got really freaked out at how dependent humans are on technology. Um, just the realization that we spend probably more time already in the virtual world than we do in the real world, at least in like a meaningful capacity. Mm-hmm. I feel like we're spending most of our time looking at screens and then it just freaked me out that I probably have substantially more human interaction through a device than in person. Um, Like as of right now, we're recording this remotely. I'm looking at either a computer screen. I'm like, I'm watching people on TV. Like I'm FaceTiming with my family. I'm talking to people on phones, texting, everything like that. And I'm like, besides my girlfriend and like these music jams and different events I go out to, it's like, a majority of things are through devices and that just kind of it freaked me out feeling that humans are almost kind of already enslaved to machines like mm-hmm. we could not function without them which now that i'm not tripping it still kind of freaks me out but it's like the alternative would be not being dependent on machines and i'm like i'm not sure i'd rather be living in like a wooden cabin without plumbing and living like a caveman or like someone from the 1800s. So it's kind of, there's pros and cons to each, but just having the realization of trying to think of how to word this. Like, I think everyone's worried about AI taking over the world and things like that. And I'm like, oh, I feel like that already happened. Probably not AI, but just technology in general has already taken over the world. And people, we talk about it, but I feel like it's not something that we've, uh, like fully accepted as a culture. I don't know if any of this is making sense. Trying to yeah, dis- it, decipher these uh, these psychedelic thoughts in a sober brain is more difficult than I thought it'd be. Yeah, I mean, a lot of it makes sense. One of the things that you mentioned that I wanted to talk about is just like the extremes that we kind of go through. It's like, we're very reliant on technology right now, but the opposite of it is like being in a cabin. It's like, how do you think people could get to like a happy medium where it's like, we're not overly reliant where we're like kind of self-sustainable, where it, we could either have it or not, but it doesn't affect our lives too much. Or we're like, ah, 
might as well just like keep going with this technology trend because we're already too far down the line. Yeah, I, I kind of thought about that. And I'm like, I feel like we're so far down the line, we just have to keep running with it. Mm-hmm. It made me think, I'm like, maybe Amish people figured it out. Maybe they're like, we hit the perfect level of technology. We're just going to stay here. Like, we don't care what the rest of the world does. And I'm like, should we have a second version of Amish that like stops in the 1990s? And everyone, we're like, we made it to VHS technology. We have cell phones that can call each other. Should we just like end it here? Um, but yeah, finding that happy medium. I'm not sure exactly how to do that. And then also thinking I'm like technology is so intrusive, but now we're getting like these new technologies like VR and AR and things and technology is advancing, but it's kind of getting out of the way. Like I feel like if we're wearing smart glasses and stuff in the future, where you're interacting with the real world more than like looking down at a phone, like you're looking at the real world and things are overlaid. And I'm like, it's that technology being more or less intrusive type of thing, because that's just going to expand where like everything's virtual. And then you take off the glasses and you're like, Oh, this isn't even close to what the virtual world is. And then you're like fully dependent on that. Like again, the stuff it's hard for me to put this stuff into words. It's like, I understand what you're saying. It's like, you're getting to that point where you're living in a reality. That's just like outside of what reality actually is. And then once you put yourself right back to what it actually is, you're like, damn, I want to come back to that alternate reality, like that augmented reality. And then I'm so used to that. I might as well just stay there. Yeah. And that disconnect actually probably will do more damage than good. Yeah. It's like things become so seamless. You're like, oh, the technology's not intrusive anymore. It's just integrated in. But then like if there's something in the future where like people are getting censored or blocked on Twitter, but that's like the equivalent of augmented reality. It's like, oh, you said the wrong thing against the government. Now you're kicked out of augmented reality. And now you can never see your friends and you can't access like GPS and things like that. And it's like, oh, yeah, God. again, it's, I feel like I'm not making any sense here, but it's just, yeah, I'm trying to unravel all these thoughts that I had when I was I in an altered state of conscious. I think one of the things that I remember reading, ah, you know, the book I'm trying to say, uh, the psychedelics book. Um, Is that how to change but, your mind? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. How to change your mind. And I think at one point, um, I think it was either through that book or like doing a little bit of independent research outside of it, that it mentioned one of the things that happens mentally. Because most of the time when we think, it's just, I guess, a natural process of our brain, like prefrontal cortex. Am I in in danger? I'm not. Might as well just like think this through logically. But when you're like doing acid or just any psychedelics, like mushrooms, your mind kind of just like all gels at the same time. So it's like this confluence of everything. It's just like you experience, that's why the feelings that you experience are so intense. Yeah. Also too, like sometimes your thoughts are, it's like you're you're going deep in a lot of different thoughts at the same time. And you're like, how do you wrestle and bring everything back and have like a coherent way of thinking after that experience it only makes sense in that experience yeah but like trying to extrapolate it outside of the experience is like hard you're like i had this amazing thought but like fuck i missed it yeah all the different conclusion leaps and bounds i got to that thought it's like it made sense but like now you're like damn it now it doesn't make sense it's like a deep like you can feel it and it's just yeah, it's like feeling and thought mixed together. And then when you try to articulate it exactly to someone else, it's like, okay, I'm just talking craziness right now. That doesn't make yeah. any sense. Um, 
But on the other end of that technological spectrum, since I was so deep into acid, I also took, I think, like 30 grams of um, weed edibles like midway through to I'm like, I'm already deep. Let's go a little bit deeper. <laughs> you like double down on it. I was like, I'm probably not going to do five tabs of acid again anytime soon. So might as well. And for a penny and for a pound. But as you saw before the last episode, I just got the most recent uh, uh-huh. MetaQuest VR headset. And I was like, tell me about it. I'm tripping. This headset's only been out for a week. I'm like, I can probably experience something that no one has experienced before or very few people anyway. I'm like, this is literally uncharted waters here. So I'm like, I'm going to check out VR porn while I'm like tripping my <laughs> balls off and just see where the technology's at. So yeah, I went from like technology enslaves us. I'm like, might as well just embrace it. So <laughs> strapped on the headset, checked out some videos. I think I discussed this before. I can't remember if it was on the episode or not, but real life VR porn, like, I don't know. I think the quality might just be lacking, but something about it's just like off. I, especially mm-hmm. while tripping, I couldn't get out of them. Like these are all actors. Like this girl is blowing a guy right now. That's wearing some type of camera contraption on his face. And mm-hmm. she's like trying to act normal and turned on. And I just, I'm like, I couldn't get into it. And also the people feel way more real in VR than like a video. It's just like, hmm. I feel like when you're watching someone on a screen, it's like easier to like feel attracted to them. But when it's like a real person, it's like, oh, I'm not really into this girl type of thing. Yeah. So I went from real life to animated porn, also known as hentai. Is, uh, is the, uh, I think, the, the technical term for it. Uh-huh. And it felt way more immersive because like the whole environment's fake, like the person's fake. It just like you can kind of get lost in that reality. Um, and... I'm worried about the future of humanity. I'm like, this is too good. Like, especially when you're tripping, it kind of felt like having sex with like a hologram, but that was real. Um, oh, wow. It was like, it was very, very good. And I have like a fulfilling relationship and like a really good sex life. And I'm like, if you were like a lonely single person or like an incel or something, I'm like, uh-huh. I think this would be good enough where you're like, eh, I guess I don't ever need to like go out and meet a partner. Like it's, it's very good. Um, I also, since I was already like so deep, I'm like, I'll use a flashlight with this, <laughs> which I had not done previously. And I'm like, okay, that, that was a game changer. Um, and I, I haven't invested in this technology. I don't think I'll, I'll go this far. Um, but I felt like along with the videos, they have things you can use. Like if you buy certain sex toys, mm-hmm. I think they're called like fun scripts or something. Like it's a part oh. of programming where like it actually, mimics yeah controls the like there's like robotic flashlights i guess which i can only imagine how i think there was an ad actually it was like something you fucking strap to a desk and like put your dick in which i'm Whoa. like you're going full full in at that point jesus but, christ so there were ones for each of the videos so i'm assuming they like sync them up to the animations oh wow um, that makes sense it's like you're feeling as she's writing you or like does certain things at certain intervals oh, wow yeah so I can only imagine that'd be even more immersive. Um, but this technology is so new and it's already this good. I'm like, once they like figure out haptics and once AI gets involved in like, these are generative animations where you can like actually talk to it and it can like react to you in real time. Mm-hmm. I think it's going to be bad. Like, like if you're someone that's like already has social anxiety, which I think a lot of the upcoming generation like has from COVID and just, communicating through screens and stuff and you're like 
I could have sex that's as good, if not better, in my house with whatever person I want. Like, I can have mm-hmm. a dream. I can have my favorite character from an anime and just have sex with them whenever I want. Like, why would you ever want to go out to a bar and have, like, an awkward social interaction and get rejected and then have to date and stuff like that? I'm hoping I'm wrong about this, but, yeah, just seeing where the technology is at already makes me fearful for future human reproduction well it's always like these trends it always happens but i think your fear is warranted because at the end of the day just we're as the world we're just doubling down on this it's like technology we're like you know what it probably will lead to the extinction of the human race but hey let's just do it (laughs) i think it's like part of like the um biological part of us that leads to self-destruction there's like this theory that they mentioned that so i guess net technology is a natural extension of that theory where yeah it's gonna get crazy like you said it's just like if i can have a partner in like the virtual world that feels just as good as like real life and actually probably would be better in a sense of like they, it could be tailored to exactly what i want at all times yeah why would I want a regular person? It's kind of like you mentioned that part where the imagination of like in the, in porn, we imagine the sensation of like having sex with somebody, like whatever video you're watching, like right now, like if you just watch it, it's like, Hmm. Yeah. I bet you it feels really good to be inside of this girl. Yeah. Like, and you're, and you're jerking off to that creativity that you build inside of your own mind. And then like, let's say you were to have this girl right in front of you and you want to have sex with her. You're like, ah, damn. It's not as I feel the same. It's like, there's that disconnect of like, your imagination yeah. is much stronger than like when faced in reality. So it could get to dangerous roads down the path um, in the future. But I think we have to just accept that ah, times are changing. Yeah. Well, that's the and thing we're not going back. Yeah. That's the thing. Because even if like everyone realizes this, like the people that are making this technology, even if they're like, this is not a good path to go down. I feel like it's so easy to get into the mindset of like, well, if we don't do it, someone else is going to do it anyway. So, I mean, yeah. we might as well do it. And make cash a lot of money. Not. Yeah. Or like they could delude themselves and be like, well, we'll do it the right way because someone uh-huh. might do it the wrong way. Like, <laughs> exactly. I, I feel like we do that with China a lot. It's like, well, China's going to build this killer AI. So we need to build one first to make sure they don't. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. But I could also see this. I think it'd still be a human disconnection, but like, once VR glasses and AR glasses get so small, like you could be having sex with a real person and you're both wearing AR glasses and they look how you want them to look. You're like, Oh, I'm tired of having sex with my girlfriend. Like I'll put this on. I'll have sex with like an elf or something like that. Like (laughs) I feel like AR at some point is going to, I don't know, lead to that. I, every, every technology is used for like sex and porn. Like it seems like that leads things. Like I think, that's why VHS was accepted over Betamax or something because it embraced the porn industry. And then mm-hmm. obviously the internet, like, isn't it like over half the traffic is for porn? So yeah. VR is obviously going to go that way. It already is. Um, I'm surprised with how long it's been around because I did, when I bought the original Oculus Quest, I checked out v- VR porn a little bit, but like the headset was so bulky and the quality was so bad it wasn't really worth it. But mm-hmm. that was four years ago. Um, I'm kind of surprised that like the quality of VR porn is still not very good. I thought it would have advanced more over the past four years, but um, it's only a matter of time before like it hits mainstream. I think 
probably two more like generations of meta quest like headsets mm-hmm. and i feel like vr is going to be pretty mainstream and at that point i think all this technology is just going to explode once there's like mass adoption so you're essentially saying like two years two to three years yeah there are three they're coming out with one each year kind of like the apple headphone um I think no? I think there were three years between this quest and the previous one. Then they had the Meta Pro in between, which like did not do well because it was so expensive. Mm-hmm. There's rumors that they're going to do a Quest Three Lite next year, which will basically be between the two and the three. Like mm-hmm. it'll be the size of this one, but it'll have the old shittier lenses to keep it cheaper, and it won't come with controllers, so it'll only be hand tracking. Um, sorry, had to burp there for a second. Um, but uh, but yeah, that headset apparently is going to be like $200. So I think they're trying to get that to be mass adoption. But from the sounds of it, the quality is going to be kind of shitty. I feel like the next one, I feel like that will pique a lot of people's interest. And I think the next one after that is like when things are going to really pop off. So my guess would probably be late 2025, 2026, if I had to guess. So maybe at the same time the bull market's hitting, uh, VR yeah, will be yeah. hitting mainstream. But you never know. These are all complete guesses. I'm not an expert in the industry, but that's just my my personal hypothesis. But like one of the things I've been thinking about deeply recently is just that we're getting to the point where a lot of these technologies, once AI gets to where it needs to get to be free thinking and able to do a lot of different things, just like instead of like having 10 people do a job, one person does it. And, you know, there's like that natural saying of, yeah, well, these people just need to be retrained and do something else. But that probably will lead to a point where there's like massive unemployment for like yeah. 20% of people who are just going to like within a year just lose their jobs because it's just been priced out, out, out of AI. So yeah, it has, has been having me very concerned. And also, too, it's like whenever that happens, like what's the alternative? You can't go to the government for to get money. And who else is going to help out? Yeah. It's it's like, yeah. uh, what are you going to do then? It's like, and then, you know, you can't, it's not like you could train up for another job. I mean, maybe like become a plumber. Um, some of the, those jobs, I don't think AI can really take. But if everybody goes to become a plumber, then how many plumbers do you actually need? That'll probably drive down the cost so much. So that being hiring a plumber would be like, oh, let me just spend a yeah. dollar on that. So uh, I don't know. I just, yeah, I was just gonna say that. Like, if if we retrain, um, no, no, go ahead. Yeah, if we retrain and everybody goes to one field, it's gonna like completely just tank the value <laughs> yeah. of that field too. It's definitely gonna be a huge adjustment, I think. Damn, I don't know how I I leave from that, <laughs> from what you said about AI and porn. To that. Oh, um, I wanted to say so when it comes to AI, porn, and VR glasses, like how is that gonna ha- when that actually happens, when it all comes together, it's going to be pretty dangerous. And I was thinking that, do you, because I'm still kind of like shaky on VR, not necessarily because of where it's at right now and where it can be, which is pretty great. But I'm thinking of that. It's just that Neuralink side where you have a chip in your brain and it's just much easier to control a lot of different things. Like, your emotions and also to like you experience because you know like the high that you get from like coming 
Like you imagine if you could just like yeah. do that naturally within your own brain. And not, yeah. you don't need like outside stimulus. Wouldn't that be crazy? Yeah. And I, I, I see that. I hope that the Neuralink technology is harder to create than, than it appears. Mm-hmm. Because, yeah, I think once you get to that point, it's like, why would you ever even interact with other people if you can just like access everything within yourself? Like, I feel like everyone would just kind of become their own island in their own reality. Um, Stoics. And just uh, all- paradise. <laughs> yeah. Well, until like, but then once you can have everything instantly, I feel like you'd get bored quick. Like, that's another thing that I, I realized during my trips is just like anticipation is like such a good, like, mm-hmm. almost before you get something is better than actually when you get it. Like that's true. the pain of getting to something when you look back at it, it like kind of sucks in the moment, but like, that's the best part of the journey. I think like once you get to a goal, it's never as fulfilling as you expect it to be. Um, and yeah, thinking about technology too, once you go to like VR and stuff, it's like right now, if you want to build a building, it takes months and it takes hundreds or thousands of people to do it. But like, when you're in VR and you can just create everything instantly, like will that take away from the meaning behind stuff and the fulfillment and technology just seems to decrease the time between when you have a thought or desire and when Mm -hmm. it actually becomes a reality. And when it gets to the point where everything you can just have instantly, like how will anything have any meaning? Like if you hang up a painting in your house and it's worth a million dollars and it took like, a world famous artist months to paint it or something like that. Like it has so much value, but then in VR, if everyone can have that exact same painting, it looks the exact same, mm-hmm. but it can be copied instantly and it cost you five cents. Like would it have the same value, even though perceptually it's the exact same thing. Like it just made me think of how are we going to value things when everything's like cheap and instantaneous? Yeah, it's going to be like that artificial. We're going to we have to create artificial scarcity in the digital world, I think, in order for us to have value, like our meaning. Because if things can just arbitrarily just come out of nowhere, then I think that just dilutes the value of anything really. I think that's why like the power of like Bitcoin or most cryptocurrencies and recently I just had the thought there's actually nothing new under the sun, man. Because yeah. Blockchain, what is it? It's like building trust, building transparency, um, decentralization in terms of like nobody owns it. Huh. Like, are these new ideas? No, not really. These are just things that now we need at the forefront of this next wave of technology, especially in the financial industry, since we're moving more digital. So having digital money that's easily transferable that holds its value and also to that gives you economic agency that's pretty much what money used to be before like it gives you economic agencies like if you had like gold um in the roman empire or like recently like if you had gold throughout that period of time and you got paid in gold then actually probably live a good life where like you wouldn't worry about a lot of bills i mean you work you decide not to work you take some time off but like your economic freedom stays practically intact and also too i was thinking about this because our money's dishonest i think it's led to a dishonest society because what like right now right let's say you were to 
like lose your job and you go to go get another job, right? Yeah. And then you know the interview process. What do they ask you? They ask you the standard questions of like, why do you want to work at this company? What is your the essential answer is like, I need fucking money. Man. Yeah. I want a paycheck. <laughs> I, I want a fucking paycheck. That's pretty much it. But you know, you got to give like the answer of like, I see myself as a very valuable um, contributor to the team. I believe in the company's mission statement and how I fit into it. I definitely think I'm going to be a valuable asset since I'll be showing up with like my best effort each and every day. And you see all that bullshit I just said. Yeah. We have to say some type of bullshit just like that in order for us to not starve. So you can't necessarily be honest in the sense of just like saying, Hey, I just need this money, man. I just, you're like my 10th interview. I hope, hopefully, hopefully you give me this job, man. I'm like, I'm struggling out here. Um, yeah. So, uh, but like, let's say we had honest money where I didn't have to necessarily do that. And you go to an interview and somebody says, why do you want to work here? And since you have the free will of either just saying, oh, I have enough money that where I don't necessarily need this job. It's like more I want this job. And once you want a job, you're actually more likely to do a better job. Yeah. Because you're gonna be you're gonna show up to work motivated. Um, you're gonna actually your your values probably align with the company's values. And essentially you're gonna produce better output too. So um yeah, I was just thinking about that recently. Yeah. Well actually I I didn't think about it a ton well, I, I tried to think about it, but I tried to get deep into like economics and stuff during my trip because I'm like the whole system the world's built on is like a complete joke that doesn't make any sense. But I'm like Yeah. You have to build, you have to buy into the solution basically to like be able to survive in it. Exactly. Um, and I'm like, oh yeah, having financial security, it's like the only way to have any type of stability in this, like this delusional society we've made. And yeah, I thought about like how devalued our money, like, yeah, how our money's dishonest and they're constantly printing more and it doesn't really have any value. And then thinking about cryptocurrency and I'm like, oh, that finally gives us something that's decentralized, like the government can't control it. And even though most people aren't taking it seriously right now, like I think it's inevitable that eventually it is going to become the like main currency within the world. I mean, hopefully we'll have multiple cryptocurrencies. I think, again, having decentralized things is good. Um, where was I going with this? Do I have any notes on it? <laughs> um, well, it's just like what is going to happen to the world when the governments don't control the money. Like how much power will America still have if yeah, everyone went to Bitcoin or Cardano or Ethereum or anything like that. Like if the U S dollar is still a currency that people use, but it's not the primary currency. Like everyone's like, yeah, I want to do everything in Cardano because I know there's not more being printed. I know that it's on a blockchain. Like you can track where things went, like there's accountability and stuff. And it's just like, how does the government, maintain power in that world and also what would the world look like yeah if the government's kind of like a second rate authority like they lose their grasp on power is that going to lead to worse things or better things like because i feel like when world powers start to lose their grip it usually they don't go out like peacefully you're definitely right about that but i think that there the realist in me says we don't necessarily need government we need systems that are honest and transparent, and those systems are probably going to guide and lead our lives better than a government. Because what is government? It's coercion. Yeah, we like to say, oh, they help with building roads and whatnot. 
That's not necessarily true because the free market, that's <laughs> like an anarcho-capitalist would just say something like that. But I think at that point, government, when they don't have the apparatus of money, it actually lead to better freedoms for the individual and for society as a whole. And government will probably have to change its role into providing value as opposed to extracting value from people. Yeah. Because like taxes, you can't just arbitrarily raise taxes on you because guess what? Your money is like on the blockchain. I'll just say, oh, I'll leave. I'll go to Africa. I heard they're treating people better over there. And the African, whichever African country you go, like the government is enticing people with money and they know that people with money are, are probably going to bring some type of economic output and from there like the country will prosper or the countries that people decide to go to because it's going to be a competition of like people have money we can't necessarily um put our clamps down on them because we can't control their money and in order for us to have these people in our society we have to make it in a way where we maximize their freedoms in order for us to actually be able to benefit from them. Because, yeah, raising taxes on the people who don't have money, how, what is that going to accomplish? Um, probably government is going to be smaller in the sense of all of these government programs, like 10 people to do their one job. Is that is that um, useful? No, it's not. So there's going to be a lot of efficiencies in government that's actually going to happen. And from that standpoint, lead to more freedoms and also a more prosperous society um, in the long run. Uh, but there's going to be a lot of pain, like you said, because governments are not in the business of having people be free. Yeah. They're in the business of keeping people down and restricting their freedom. So the road between them losing, like realizing that they're losing, enforcing themselves in order for them to not lose and actually losing, that road is, a I don't know, that's a long arc. Like what I'm saying right now is like, oh yeah, people are gonna have economic prosperity and whatnot. That might take like 40 years. <laughs> yeah, like imagine like the amount of like what's gonna all the back and forth, all the like um, sanctions or they're gonna like restrict freedoms. There's gonna be a lot of infighting before something like that happens. But it's a necessary thing in order for humanity to get to the next level because the way things are heading right now, man. If we just allow governments and big corporations to have their way, then what does that leave you as an individual? You're screwed. Yeah. And I, I hope it does take time. I feel like a gradual transition will lead to less pain than it's like, if people, <laughs> if people lose faith in the American dollar next year and like there's a huge exodus order to crypto, like I feel like the government would panic and have like a big backlash rather than like happening slowly and kind of like the frog boiling in the pot analogy. They say like, if it's slowly happening and then by the time the government like really fully realizes it's already kind of too late. Um, I don't know. I think that gradual change is better than quick radical changes, but in history, it seems like there's always some like snapping point where it builds up for a long time and then some dramatic change happens and there's a lot of pain, but I'm hoping, hoping that doesn't happen, but it did make me more excited for crypto. I'm like, it seems inevitable most people think it's a joke right now. Like now is a great time to be investing in it. Not financial advice, just my <laughs> personal opinion. Um, but yeah, it seems like now you are like getting in on the ground floor. And then when people realize it's a way better form of 
value and transacting and money that the value is just going to skyrocket because everyone's going to want it. And yeah, the supply and demand of it is just going to shoot up the price. Yeah, you're definitely right about that because I was thinking exactly from that perspective the other day where people don't understand things until it makes obvious sense, you know? Like right yeah. now, we see things, we, we're kind of visionaries in the sense of like, we see where the trend is going and we're getting in early and we're probably going to be in it for the rest of our lives. Or I mean, we're going to be in crypto for the rest of our lives since it's going to affect us in one shape or the other um, in the long arc of our lives, like whatever we have, like maybe 30, 40, 60, or maybe 100 years, depending on how this advanced technology for anti-aging goes. But I was just thinking about it. So we're in early, and it's the same thing with the internet. Like in the 90s, if you told somebody, like, yeah, just going to have be like these laptops that you could take and like we're connected to Wi-Fi. And like, what the f- what are you talking about? It's like, yeah, it's like, yeah, but like, you know, um, it's going to be good. We're going to be able to stream and talk to people from across the world. And people are like, what are you talking about? This makes no sense. It's like, and then we're going to be able to use our phones to like video chat, um, like text at the same time, send an email. What is an email? Like all of these different things that now makes sense to us. A lot of people in the past were just would never understand. So, but it's always up to like the few visionaries of like they see where the trend is going and getting on top of it before where there's a lot of growing pains we understand like exchanges like sending money from one to the other making sure the self-custody making sure that you're connected to the right site because of like scams all these different things that there's so many things are there to like extract money from you that a novice person will fall prey to but like for us like getting into it right now and avoiding all these traps and being able to make money before the masses come in. That's how people build generational wealth in like 10, 20, 30 years from now. Or like in a billionaire class saying like, yeah, so I remember back in the days where I had to swap like 10 times before I got that one token that got made me a millionaire. Like, But people are going to be like, oh, well, I, why didn't you just buy like a regular thing? Like you could get paid. Like when we get paid in crypto, all these different things. That's going to be like the inflection point of like, we made it, but however long that takes, 10, 20 years, do you want to be at it 20 years down the line when it's actual reality or like before where you actually have a substantial substantial amount of time in order for you to profit immensely? So yeah, um, it's great, man. It's like right now, it's like I was thinking about it recently. It's time to go all in, man. I'm like... There's this one quote from this song. I forgot the name of it. And the guy says, they say it's all or nothing. So I'm going for it. Fuck it. That's pretty much my attitude right now. This bull run, fuck it, man. It's all in right now. Yeah, I'm excited for it. I actually used Dex Hunter for the first time today. So <sighs> How was it? It was very seamless. So yeah, it's my new plan is just like I DCA and a certain amount of Cardano every day. Mm-hmm. On Sunday, I transfer that from Coinbase to my... Um, self-custodial wallet mm-hmm. and then just however much ada accumulated during that week dcing and i'll just put that into like one of my baskets and oh nice dca that into ends um lenfi and then a little bit of world mobile i think nice. i'm doing 70 percent ends and then 
no, 70, yeah, 75% ends and then 20% um, LendFine and 5% World Mobile. Yeah, that's a good, that's a good allocation because I think right now, um, Hens is probably trading at a, a very solid price for where it's actually going to go. LendFi is interesting though. It's like I've been monitoring it. The way that it goes, it goes through like these big swings. And I'm just thinking of it, it's going through these big swings now. Imagine in a bull run. Um, but thinking too far down the line, right now, the way I see it is like the other day I was buying a lot of it. I think I bought like, I mean, a lot to me is kind of like 500, 500 yeah. to 1,000 lens. I think I bought, I think between 500. And I bought it at like a dollar seventy four seventy six, and then it's just like recently shot up to like two twenty, and I'm like, damn. Oh, did it really? Yeah, because yeah. I, I try not to look at it too often because I'm like I'm DCing in, so I'm like trying to stay, um, <laughs> like emotionally disconnected from it, so it doesn't impact me. I was trying to bring up my tickers that I have, but I have to not be in any app. Um, but yeah, wow, I didn't realize it went up to like two twenty. I don't yeah. even I don't even know what price I bought it for today. I think it was like two fifteen or something. Like, I think I it went because you know how it goes. It goes two twenty and then comes right back down. Um, but it does have these big swings that I've been noticing, and one of the big reasons is just that the token is very valuable in other aspects besides just like buying and holding. Like some people have it from the sense of like when V two comes out, there's gonna be a part of like the fees of the network you're gonna be able to have, and also to the amount of LendFi you you stake, it's it's not gonna be as there's only gonna be 720 emissions per day that's gonna be distributed across everybody staking LendFi. So you already see like the LendFi that you're gonna generate through staking is gonna be scarce, and depending on demand, it's actually probably gonna be skyrocketing skyrocketing the price since like people are gonna want it more. Not a lot of them is coming out, and from that standpoint too. A lot of people like to take loans against their land file, so they're locking it up. Yeah. So there's so much like for us like to have the token right now and then like in a bull run. I definitely think that once we decide to exit our positions, like two hundred or land five, five hundred, I wanna be surprised. And remember that quote I sent you about like what Man- Mantis said. Wait, which which quote was that? Um his his ambitions for Lenfi. Oh yeah, of like wanting to be like the, the like the, the place to yeah. the place to take out loans and stuff and like be the they say like premier finance place too. Like I yeah. remember him talking about the loans because I just wanted to ask you more about if you have any details of like how decentralized loans will work. Um, the way uh, I watched <laughs> Mantis had a video talking about how V two is going to work for when you say decentralized loans, is like how the platform for Lendfi is going to work or just? So I was thinking like. Can you be a micro lender? Like if I wanted to be like, I want to loan out $5,000 worth of LendFi. Can I do, can I like, I don't even know how that'd work. It'd be almost like staking it. Like, can I loan my LendFi out and then get like a percent return on that? Like, so you're basically, well, everyday people be able to function as kind of like a small bank or like pull your money together and lend it out. Exactly. That's the V2. That's what V2 comes into play. And it's the liquidity, like the pool liquidity that they're doing now. So essentially, what I say you have $5,000, like you mentioned, and you want to loan it out. And one of the pools that are going to be opened by like somebody who says, I want to open a pool of LendFi. And anybody that comes to that pool 
will take a loan out with a set fixed interest. So with the supply of like your five thousand worth of Lenfi to that pool, you get the percentage that it reflects in that pool. Like let's say maybe that five thousand is like one percent. So all of the fees or all of the loans that get um, issued and also repaid, you'll get one percent of that total pool value back to you. So you're essentially your own bank, but yeah. you have to provide your liquidity in order for it to happen. So he had a very good video about uh, V2, its applications, and they're very focused on the aspect of making sure that Cardano, no, LenFi on Cardano is the, one of the most decentralized protocols like in the space. They don't want to have arbitrary control over who gets a loan, who doesn't get a loan, how the platform works. If there is a big event, there's not like they have to come out of like the woodworks in order for them to like save the day. They just really want this protocol to operate autonomously and through tweaks and whatnot to make it better for the user experience and for people in general and like for other features that are going to come out long term. So I love that, man. It's like it, they're literally saying we do not want control. We want for it to be the best platform that it could ever be. And they're going to be... um. There are going to be different pain points, especially, you know, Cardano's not perfect. Yeah. No protocol is perfect. So there are going to be a lot of intricacies that are going to show up. But guess what? That's like our mission. And I'm like, that's the type of people that we need building these great applications that people are going to utilize on a day-to-day basis moving forward. Because, like, what I'm seeing from, like, secondhand reading and whatnot, there's a lot of, like, key dependencies in the blockchain industry and a lot of the different places like layer twos there are a lot of back doors where like three people can halt the network at one point i'm like what the that's not good it's like doesn't that create a massive breach like at one point of just like what if two of them collude and decides to compromise the network and extract like a hundred billion dollars worth of liquidity if let's say um polygon becomes like the next Let's say Polygon um, encapsulates. Let's say the, there's a bull run. Polygon becomes like a close to $1 trillion market cap or something like that. And then the three guys are like, yeah, two of them are like, yo, yeah, it's a lot of money. Let's, let's take some of that, you know? And causing this massive cascading event, pushing us to another bear market. That's just like a, a situation, but it, it's very real. It's a possibility because like when it comes to money, when you see all these digits, you could become corruptible. So yeah, is so Polygon that, was that just a hypothetical example, or does Polygon actually have some backdoors? You've heard they of? do have backdoors. <laughs> I think Arbitrum also has backdoors. All a lot of the layer twos that are based on top of Ethereum have backdoors. Even some on Cardano have backdoors. Um, Liquid Finance. Um, I think that one of the pages, like the excerpts out of their um, one of their audit reports, it was said that there is a key dependencies of, it's not like a backdoor where it's kind of like the backdoor would be like in a case of an emergency or something like that, they can come in and like step into the platform and do certain things where it's not a platform like Lenfi, which autonomously keeps working, you know? Yeah. So I think that from us, from a, there's like, one of the things I've been thinking about too is just like 
I think you have to be a philosopher in order for you to make money in crypto and keep your money in crypto. Because what do, what do most of us in crypto really want? We want to make money, man. I yeah. get it. It makes sense. I mean, it's one of the most volatile assets that you can make a substantial amount of money in a short period of time. And I think a lot of people get disillusioned by that, saying that, oh, yeah, this is great. I'm going to make all this money and I'm going to cash it out and then I'm going to live well. But the thing is like, yeah, you can make all the money. It's like, let's say you have a million dollars, you make a million dollars and the protocol that you invested in, you're like, yeah, and I'm going to go cash out right now. I'm going to cash out and then get my million dollars and walk away. And then guess what? The people who are running the platform are like Doquan or SBF. And then that million dollars you thought you had, well, turns out you didn't. So things like that are very real, especially in crypto. So whenever, like I remember, I think I told you in one of our last talks, whenever I look at a platform that I want to invest in, I think of it from the standpoint of how is this going to operate? Who are the people behind it? And what is their vision of this platform? And once you see, you have to like through interviews, reading and whatnot, and like your own independent thinking, you get to see that, oh, okay, let's say Lenfire right now, right? We think it's a great project. The chances of it doing well are like very high. The chances of it failing, eh, it's still hard. There's no guarantees. But at the end of the day, what is the mission statement of the people running it? Like, are they going to just like, oh, you know what? This bear market is taking a little too long. We're just going to close shop. That's, yeah. not that's not how they're thinking. They're thinking long term. Like if the, 10 years from now, the platform's still crap. Yeah, I get it. <laughs> that, that just, that's just like bad luck. Uh, you know, a lot of different things didn't come together. But do you think 10 years from now, it'll be at the same day, place that it's in right now? Or like five years from now? Or even like three years from now? No. So from their perspective, they think long term. You as a investor, you have to think long term. Put yourself in the right situations. Bull market happens. They're probably going to be overly, um, their valuation is going to be overinflated. We get that. We're trying to capture as much money from that overvaluation yeah. and then reinvest in it because we know that it's going to stick around long term. So it's like a, it's a cyclical game that once you start to understand it, you're like, oh, this is easy. It's just like, you got to like not be emotional, um, wait things out, be patient, and then and then just chill, man. And then go live your life. After I think this first bull run for the both of us is gonna be stressful. But I think like after this one, like the second one, third one, like because we we already know everything that goes on to like the base layer of what we need to do. Just like chill back and then letting things kind of play out in the long run. So I think we'll see. But I definitely think we're at a very good point. Um the next two to three years is gonna be interesting. Oh my God, we're gonna be shelling a lot of different things. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's 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 pretty fun, man. It's gonna be fun. So we're at like the at a good point. And I'm really happy that we're both in this and we get to see the fruits of our labor in a couple of years from now. Yeah, I'm excited for it. I do I'm anticipating it to be very stressful, but I do think as long as this one goes decently, the falling ones will be slightly less stressful once like mm -hmm. We have the proof proof of concept that like actually we can make a substantial amount of money because right now it's like still hypothetical. Like I think I mentioned this before, like 2017, I lost quite a bit of money. The last bull run broke even. I think I came out a little bit ahead, but like not substantially. So hopefully this one will be like each one's getting a little better. So hopefully this will be the big one. 
And I think also once you're financially independent, as long as you're like not overextending yourself, future bull and bear runs will basically just be like reinforcing our wealth to make sure we can maintain that lifestyle, hopefully indefinitely. Um, But then going back to some other things, I think it's really smart that you look at the people behind these projects, especially since so many of these teams seem very small. Mm -hmm. Um, Like how many people are on Vlad's team? Is it basically just like, has he mentioned how many people are behind ends coin or like it's, it was two him and somebody else. And then they hired somebody recently three, I think it's at three to four because now they have somebody for their social media, but that's different. So I guess he's, he's part of the team. And then there's also that guy that I kept mentioning, the one that understood the protocol fairly well to kind of like explain it from a layman's perspective. So that's five. Is that like the guy two- that does the interviews with him or is that a different guy? Oh, wait, is it, has it been the same guy for the interviews? I honestly never paid attention. A couple. I think you've sent me one with another guy, but I think that last guy you sent me when he was um, explaining the zero knowledge proofs, I think that he was from a previous video. Okay. Um, so I, I assumed he was part of an independent team, but it seems like he's interviewing Vlad, unless those all came from the same interview and they like clipped it up. I'm not sure because, like, you know me, I'm watching all these <laughs> interviews. I'm not, I don't pay attention to the other person asking yeah. the question. I'm paying attention to like the guy behind it. I'm like, what is Vlad saying? <laughs> yeah, but. That team is like around, I think, people building the protocol, three. But yeah. people kind of like, you know, engaging in social media, um, answering questions in the Discord, providing announcements. I think that's the other two. So it's probably like five overall. But like all these teams are pretty small. Linfi is also three. Yeah, um, It's Mantis, the head. Um, I think it's his brother or cousin that they're both. They were the two who started it. And then there's like a third guy that they hired who was a I who uh, did I mention Icon? It's one of those new programming languages on Cardano. No, I don't that doesn't ring a bell. Okay, so there's this programming language that came out of nowhere. But I was like reading a they kept posting a couple times here and there on X, formerly known as Twitter. And I followed them and they made sense where they tried to because building on Cardano is hard from a programming standpoint, because they use Haskell, they use Plutus, which is like a derivation of Haskell, but there's a learning curve that needs to be done. Mm-hmm. But ICANN is like a new, it's, it's also functional uh, programming language, but it's just easier to read and easier to understand. And, and from that perspective, it just came out as an alternative to the ones that are already on Cardano right now. And a lot of people have, like, people who are building dApps right now are really deep into it because they're realizing that it's actually a great thing. It makes the programming experience much simpler. And I'm saying all this to say one of the three people who are developing that um, smart contract language is on the Linfar team. Oh, wow. And he and he joined probably, like, I would like to say, what month are we in? We're in October. Yeah. I think earlier this year, like in January, February, they're like, we are hiring somebody from the ICANN team. And I was like, this is great because ICANN is like this new programming language. It makes it easier. And then they rewrote most of their smart contracts in ICANN. It makes the, it actually works well with the Cardano blockchain in terms of processing times. It actually, it makes a lot of things much easier um, from like a nodes. They, they explained it. It's, it's very good. 
and a lot of projects are actually moving towards Icon now, which is like the validation from the market. And I thought, yeah, this is a great hire. And this is like adding to the team of two. So made them three now. And yeah, overall, like even I think Vladimir was mentioning that they're going to build some smart contracts in Icon too. So you see, it's getting a lot of confirmation all throughout. Yeah, that seems ecosystem. that seems huge for DApps in general. Because I mean, I I know very little about programming, but all the people that know programming that I've talked to, it seems that Plutus and Haskell are not easy to learn at all. So having like a more accessible programming language or smart contract language seems like it'll just increase the amount of developers that are willing to work on Cardano. Exactly. And it's all a money grab eventually too, because like right now, let's say of everything in life. In the beginning, people are like, you know, it's hard. Oh, it sucks. But guess what? People are building on it. And guess in the next bull run, Cardano reaches like a $300 billion to like $500 billion market cap. And people are like, oh my God, I guess it's not that hard. <laughs> yeah, because guess what? There's an incentive now. There's like a financial incentive for you to learn that's something that's for you to learn something that's hard. But the problem is you have to learn something that's hard prior to anybody else coming because when you go try to learn it, it's hard because you're seeing like, oh, big number numbers go up, then guess what? You're losing so much of that big numbers go up because you were not there when Cardano was worth $10 billion market cap. You're there when it's worth $500 billion or $300 billion, whatever number it eventually reaches. But like the op- like the upside is not as high anymore. So, but people don't think that way. They it's like they don't think economically. It's like I'd rather be early, learn the growing pains, and capitalize on it. Because guess what? In a in a bull run, when people are just throwing money at anything, you're like that guy who understood Hask or Plutus beforehand, and you make so much money. You you make money hand over fist. So if I was a programmer, I'd think that way too. But I'm more of an investor and just long-term thinker. So uh, they won't well, listen to me anyways, right? Well, that kind of gives some gravity to the teams that you do have faith in and stuff too because, yeah, they're still putting in all this hard work and putting their faith into like something that is very low value right now compared to where it was a couple of years ago. So, like, I mean, they're obviously want to make money off it like no one would put in all this work to not make money but it just shows that they're in it for the long haul that they're still putting in so much time and effort to build during the bear market and yeah all those teams that pop up during the bull market who knows if they're still going to be there when cardano retraces 90 percent and they're they go from having a coin worth like billions of dollars and it goes down to like being worth hundreds of thousands of dollars so and yeah and like you mentioned too the risk as well like these teams are building now and if they can survive when LenFi is worth $2, like, you know, that they're going to probably still be around when it's worth $200. Whereas if someone starts building and their coins worth 500 bucks and that goes down to being worth 50 cents, like, yeah. <laughs> is that team still going to be able to sustain that or is it going to completely fall apart? It always, more, no, it's not always. I, I, I try to like move away from using extremes nowadays. I just say most likely. <laughs> Uh, because like you mentioned, a lot of, it, it's worth $500 in a bull run. People are living good. You know, it's like numbers go up. You're just like, Jesus Christ, oh my God, I printed this money. You said the Federal Reserve prints money. I print money. <laughs> That's how people go because like the developers are like, they're motivated each and every day. Just seeing their portfolio go up, 
another 10, 20% on top of that 500. And you're like, they're dancing. You're like, yeah, I feel motivated. I'm, I'm coding everything. They're coding in Haskell. They're coding in Rust. They're coding in everything right now. They are motivated. But guess what? Bull market ends. <laughs> 500 goes to, like you said, 50 cents or a dollar or something like that. Ah, the motivation goes pretty quickly. And guess what? With that, uh, we are thinking of like taking that, this project in a new direction. We need to change it up a bit. And then it's a slow or a fast rug. You never know. So it always ends up that way. So that's why like you always have to be wary of projects coming out for bull, in a bull run. It's it's just not worth it um, for you to make money. Like what we're doing right now in a bear market but you know it's got, it was interesting when you mentioned 2017. Did you come in 2017 in December? Of 2017. It was like late November ish. Oh, yeah, That's November. when I got into like IOTA and I think probably a few other altcoins, but it was mostly IOTA that I was into. So yeah, 2017 November to December. Yeah, December was like the blow off top. Yeah. Before I didn't oh. come in like way before. I was definitely in before the peak, but then I hit the peak. I think I continued buying stuff at the peak and then just Ooh, like, yeah, it retraced it's and then it held through a retracement. And I'm like, fuck, it's not coming back. <laughs> did you, did you sell in 2018, 2019 or no? You just left it. I sold later. So I think I sold during the bear market at some point. Yeah. I sold most of my IOTA and I think I just like transferred it over into like Ethereum and Bitcoin. Cause I knew very little about crypto. So I'm like, IOTA is like worth nothing. I might as well like liquidate this and like at least put it into Bitcoin or Ethereum since like okay. it seems like that'll come back eventually. So I did in twenty yeah, twenty nineteen I must have. Or twenty twenty. Early twenty twenty. Yeah, mm-hmm. when did the last bear it was when things were low. I started investing before the last bull market hit. I like it was after COVID. Cause I remember investing a lot of my like unemployment checks into Ethereum and Bitcoin. Okay. So I think I was yeah. investing in Ethereum when it was like $200 or like 180 or something like that. Okay. Yeah, that's right before the... So because March pandemic happened, okay, Bitcoin was going up. The pandemic happened. It crashed the market to like 5K Bitcoin. Yeah. It's starting to like go back up like probably late April, May, like slow, slowly but steady. Well, yeah. So... You came in, actually, if you went all in during that period of time, like yeah. if you say you, you were like, everything that I'm making money-wise, I'm just going to put it into crypto, like let's say BTC and ETH or Cardano during that period of time, damn, you would have like, let's say you put 10K, you would have been like really up. It would have been that, because I was getting like almost $1,000 a week from unemployment, uh, but I don't think I was putting that much in. I remember... I feel like I was buying Bitcoin when it was around like 7,000. I think this was like June or July of 2020. Yeah. Is when I started DCing in. But then I decided to move back to New York. And I'm like, oh, I need to like save money for my move. Like I haven't Mm. worked in over a year. So I think probably, I think it was like June and July, I DCA'd in a bit. And then like August, I stopped because I was Mm. moving. Um, But I got up to like, I had over two ETH at one point, and then I discovered NFTs when I moved back to New York around September, and I bought like some fucking goldfish mafia bullshit. Like I, I ended up spending like with all the gas fees, I spent like a quarter of an ETH to buy this Jesus Christ fucking useless NFT that I still have. So now I have one point seven five ETH, and I'm like, fuck, that was like the dumbest nah, buy man. I've ever made. But um, it, it was the the mania of the bull market, man. Yeah. 
And then I found Cardano and I was like, oh, I can buy NFTs that don't have fucking $200 gas fees. <laughs> so, and also bought a bunch of those. Um, but yeah, if I would have just put it all into Ethereum and Bitcoin then and held it, I'd, I'd be in a pretty good spot right now. Granted, if I would have sold at a good time during the, the yeah, bull market. Because you probably wouldn't have. Like, yeah, probably. You probably would have just like been like, oh, this is great. And then like it starts to be tracing on you and you're like, damn it. And then now you're back in the bear market that we're in right now. Yeah. So it was a good learning experience. At least I didn't lose money in that mm-hmm. one. Um, so yeah, hopefully this next one. Uh, I think now you're pretty, like if you're DCA from now, like you've you've already been doing it, but from now into next year, and next year around this time, next year around this time, we're very close to like the bull market. Like right now, like October, November of 2024, we're pretty much saying like, oh, we're less than a year away from like when the mania is going to come back. So yeah. yeah. When did, when's the Bitcoin having again? Is it next spring? or is Yeah, it- it's in April of next year. So it's always like a delay. So like nothing's... Bitcoin's probably gonna pump to at most, like which is just me speculating, to like forty K, maybe forty five at the most. And then people are gonna be like, We're ready for the bull market. And then it's not, it's gonna retrace back down to like maybe thirty-three or thirty-four. And then it's gonna kinda trade around that, in my opinion, for the rest of the year. And there's gonna be a point, probably it could be as early as December of twenty twenty four. But I think it's probably going to happen like a little later into 2025, as in like February 2025, where things are just going to go up like crazy. You're like, you're like oh, Bitcoin has been like 37,000. And then within a month, it's like at 72. And people are like, oh, Bitcoin just reached all-time highs. And then, you know, people are going to be like, oh, yeah, it reached all-time highs. This is nice. And the next thing you know, it's like 120. And people are like, oh, my God. Okay, let's start investing in Bitcoin. He's going to start hearing stories like you see your boy Kramer on TV. I would buy Bitcoin and ETH only, you know. These are the only two I buy. And then next thing you know, Bitcoin gets to 180, maybe 200. And probably the peak, in my opinion, is going to... I think the bull run will last longer than previous bull runs, as in like... You remember like 2017 kind of lasted like a month and a half, two months. Yeah, it was very fast. 2021... It, it was weird. It lasted like January, February, March, April. I think it reaches peak in April, his first peak. And then it retraced heavy. And then had like the second peak later in the year. That was because of like the meta, everything. But I think this next one is probably going to last eight months through. Like the whole, most of 2025 is going to be a bull run, in my opinion. Where, you know, because institutions are going to come in. And yeah, there's going to be just be like massive mania before it actually gets to the point of just like people like being, okay, it's going to keep going to like, it's going to go to a million. Once you start hearing that, oh, you better exit all of your positions by then. <laughs> it's like, oh yeah, it's going to reach a million then. It's probably not. I think the top next market is probably going to be at most 300K. That would or, still be pretty good. I know. It's, it's amazing if you like think about it, but I'm being conservative, I think. Most likely 200 to 250, but I'll be liquidating most of my positions by then. I don't really care for the Bitcoin top, man. I just want to be a millionaire and be the fuck out of here, man. <laughs> I want us to both be millionaires and we're just like, yo, ayahuasca, getting back to the psychedelics. Yeah. Let's say, if- how excited are you to try ayahuasca at one time? I was thinking about that too after this thing. I'm like, 
I think ayahuasca would be like, I'm excited for, especially since I've done DMT. So I have like a vague understanding of what it will be like. Um, but I was like trying to think how it will compare to like how intense that acid trip was. I'm like, if mm-hmm. it's like more intense, I'm like, holy shit, that's going to be like insane. It is. <laughs> Cause I'm just saying like these psychedelic trips, I feel like you're just consuming so much information and stuff. And then like, I, I fell asleep at like 7am cause I could not fall asleep to like save my life. I was just yeah. like thinking about like death and technology and like all these dark fucking thoughts and stuff and finally passed out. And then I like, woke up at 1 p.m. yesterday which i'm like holy shit like i can't remember the last time i slept in that late so i thought i was going to be up all night last night um but then i like fell asleep at 10 o'clock which is still pretty early for me and i feel like just all that information takes like such a toll on your brain and i feel like just like my subconscious is going to be processing all that i took in for the next several days and thinking of ayahuasca because that's like a 12-hour trip as well yeah from what i've heard and you throw up and like, shit, your shit pants. yourself. That's what I was thinking too. It's like, thank God I like, because a lot of people, it seems like LSD upsets their stomach and they get diarrhea and shit. I'm like, thank God that doesn't happen. And I was like, oh, if I do ayahuasca, like, I'm yeah. going to be, I'm going to be super fucked up for as long as I was tripping last time, but it'll probably be more intense the whole time. And I'm going to be puking and shitting. I'm like, this is going to be insane. And just thinking of like, how long it's going to take my brain to like actually process everything from that trip afterwards. But it's something I've wanted to do for since I like really found out what it was. I think probably like 2018 is when I found out about mm-hmm. ayahuasca and I've always wanted to try it since. So it's something I'm excited about, but also like a little nervous, but I'm nervous about any new psychedelic before I do it. Yeah, I mean, it's it's interesting because when we go, it's going to be a retreat. Like a, I think it's like a week or two, depending on what package you want. So in that week. We might do it like three times, bro. So you'll yeah. be shitting your pants a lot. I have experience in that. <laughs> I hope I have a. I hope I have a strong stomach and I only puke. But yeah, it seems like there's a good chance you shit. Um, and I was thinking about that too because I've never had a guided psychedelic experience. Because um, thing is, like this trip was like pretty intense. I'm in like New York City. My girlfriend was gone. I'm like any of like my family or like close friends from back home or like a state away. Mm-hmm. I'm here tripping by myself. Like if something went wrong, there's no one like super close by that could come help me. Yeah. And it, it was very intense, but I'm like, I mentally made it through that. And it wasn't that bad. I'm like, I feel like I would be, I could become a good psychedelic guide if I wanted to, since mm-hmm. I've had like so much experience with it now, but I'm like, I've never actually been guided through a psychedelic experience. And I think it'll be cool with ayahuasca to like, actually have a shaman and someone like tailoring the experience so you can actually get the most out of it instead of just like doing random shit, like listening to music or watching war movies or like jerking off to VR porn. So <laughs> I think it'll be nice to have a professional like guiding you through it as well. I think it's probably going to be more intense in the sense of like, since when you do acid, you're more, you're stimulated, you're stimulating your senses. Like you said, like, you're watching porn, <laughs> you're listening to music, you might watch a movie, like all these different things. Like ayahuasca is an intense experience and you're going to be just, there's going to be music that you're going to play, like the ceremony. Yeah. And you're going to be just like, like in the dark with yourself for a period of time. Yeah. Like eight, 10 hours. You imagine? Like, and then, but you have to remember like, it's going to feel like forever. Exactly. Exactly. You're going to go through like five lifetimes. Well, I noticed that with this trip too, like how like time always becomes dilated anyway. Exactly. But like when I was watching the VR porn, most of them are like a minute long clip, mm-hmm. and like it'd get through the clip. I'm like that was only a minute. I'm like that felt like ten minutes. So yeah. like 
But I did also, because like the technology thing, I'm like, it sucks. I have to be constantly stimulated. So I would go through periods of just like laying in the bed in the dark and just staying with my thoughts. But Mm -hmm. I feel like I like the thoughts always come back to like everything is like a unified field and everything is just like anticipation and release. Like everything's just a sight. Like everything's a duality is what I always Mm -hmm. come back to from those trips. And then I'm like, Oh, if the universe is all one thing anyway, and like if we're all one consciousness, just like in different bodies, but we all come from the same source, I'm like, that means I created all these movies and all these music, all this music and stuff. So I'm like, why wouldn't I enjoy it while I'm in this state? So then I do try to sit with my thoughts, but then they come and I'm like, it all comes back to the same thing. I might as well like enjoy this awesome movie while I'm tripping since it's a rare experience. But, um, and I think ayahuasca because like I think drugs are portrayed very inaccurately in most media like mm-hmm. they're like you're on acid and you're seeing stuff that's not there and stuff like that which i think you might have mentioned you've actually hallucinated things during your trip before i think you mentioned that once but like i'm thinking back to it now my visuals like yeah i think like i've seen like kind of double images and stuff oh. like that and it was like blurry but i've never like oh there's like a lion in my room that's not there i've never like actually hallucinated something that's not there like you close your eyes and you see patterns and stuff like that. But like when I took DMT, it's like, Oh, I like actually feel like I'm in a different universe. Like I was seeing beings and stuff. And like, it felt like I was actually in a different dimension, which. Yeah. So when we do ayahuasca, like I feel like it's going to feel like we're somewhere else for like 10 hours where LSD, you still feel like you're on earth and you're still in your room. It's just like a very altered state of consciousness. But once we do DMT. It's going to be like, oh, we're like in the astral plane. Yeah. For 10, for what probably <laughs> feels like an infin- infinity, probably. It's just like for 12 hours, you're just like, like tripping balls and you're like intermittently throwing up and like shitting yourself. That's yeah. Like, sounds amazing. I can't imagine what puking is going to feel like, like puking and shitting is going to feel like while tripping. Yeah. <laughs> did, like, do you do it on yourself and then like, you stay in it for like those yeah I, I didn't even think of that i was thinking about that i was like wait is it like because is it is the shaman gonna be like oh you're, you're shitting yourself let's go get him like a fresh pair of underwear yeah like do pants. you put on like, a diaper or something for it yeah that's that, there's a lot of these questions that i haven't necessarily i don't have the answer to because there's this one guy i think i mentioned him before um he lives in colombia but he actually has gone on a lot of ayahuasca trips so he's like a no it he knows like the right ones to go to don't go to like the colombian ones because he was saying that there are some that are led like the shaman is a, just a colombian dude and you're like <sighs> he's he's not like part of the real culture of ayahuasca so might as well just like have go to like the authentic part of it because there's a part of colombia that's the Amazon, wait, which which jungle is down there? The Don't Amazon. ask me. I thought Colombia was an island until like last <laughs> year. So. No, so there's a part of Colombia that's purely they have ethnic people that okay, so run like the indigenous I- people. Indi- exactly, um, the indigenous that run the ayahuasca ceremonies, kind of like the same ones in Ecuador or these other places. So it's a matter of just like going to them as opposed to like going to the Colombian dude. He's like speaking to you in Spanish and you're like, yo, this is not, this is not a Spanish thing. This is, I'm supposed to be, I think the, probably even the indigenous people have like doing the ceremony, have to say it in Spanish a little bit, probably. Um, yeah. So. 
Also, I'm not looking forward to drinking it. I've heard it does not taste very good. Yeah, he said that it tastes like shit. Um, yeah. Ugh. But it's like he drank it, took a, like he was like, oh, this tastes terrible. And then at first, you know, like that feeling, you, every time you're trying something new, you're like, wait a second, I'm not feeling anything. This is crap. Yeah. And then next thing you know, boom, it just hits you. You're like, fuck. <laughs> so it's like that first time, like a first time trying acid, it's just like that. It's like, first you're like, oh, no, nah, this is nothing. And then you're just like, wait a minute. Oh, my God. And you start rising. Yeah, the, 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 the most fun part, in my opinion, is not necessarily the peak or the afterglow. Is the come up. It's like yeah. amazing. Yeah, I like the come the come up is the best part. And I like the peak too. I yeah. never really have the afterglow. I just have like existential dread into oh, it. You've never had it? Where it's well, like, like you're the, feeling it, but it's like, huh, I'm no longer at the peak. I just know I'm like in that next phase of just like it's ending. Like the next day I kind of have an afterglow. Like I went for a walk in the park and spent like a lot of time outside yesterday and that felt good, but not like after I hit the peak. Because usually at that point, it's like late at night and I'm alone. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, at some point, I'm going to not exist anymore. Like, yeah. AI is going to take over and I, a meteor could hit the earth at any point. It's just like all these abstract things that I realize in my sober mind just become way more real. It's like, oh, I guess I'm just going to try to either sit with my st- thoughts or distract myself until I like physically can't stay awake anymore. Yeah. That. <laughs> Yeah, I, I definitely think that the intense experience of ayahuasca, once you do it, is going to be, I know when, when we both do it, it's going to be crazy, but like thinking about it, yeah, being alone with your thoughts for like 10 to 12 hours and like being interrupted by just like some music, like a ceremony and like being guided to one place or the other, it's pretty, it's going to be very intense. Yeah. Well, I wonder like DMT is weird. Um, well, that is like. That's immediate. So like when you're smoking mm-hmm. it, you take like three puffs typically is what they say. And like you struggle to take the third one. Like by the second one, you're like blasting off into a different reality. Mm-hmm. But the biggest takeaway from DMT is like after, like you're completely okay with death. Like, yeah. like, um, like it doesn't seem depressing. Like it feels like at least I, I think I've done it. Definitely not twice. I might have done it three times. I think I've done it twice. Um, but like the trip feels more real than real life. Like wherever you go, you're like, Oh, that's reality. And like, whatever this life is, is like, feels like a simulation within that reality. Mm-hmm. And you're like, Oh, when I die, I'm just going to like go here in the other reality. You feel, I don't know. Just felt like a, like a weight was lifted off my chest and you're like, Oh, there's like other beings here. They see me, but they don't like particularly seem to be like interested in me. Like a, kind of felt like if i saw a fly flying around this room like that's about how much they cared about me being there Mm -hmm. um but then after it's like oh yeah death isn't that scary like there's definitely something after this it's fine um and i can and that's from like a 10 to 15 minute trip so after being in a similar reality as that for 12 hours i can assume that it's gonna have like a pretty profound effect on your perception and just like outlook on life after yeah, that's the thing, though. It could actually break you, um, which makes sense because it's like you get to exp- – it's kind of like what you experience with acid, but in a completely different way. And also, too, it's just the paradigm shift that happens once you come out of it. It could reinvigorate you to take a different path in life or 
show you exactly where you are right now and where it could probably lead. Or and so like a lot of people have a hard time choosing. Yeah. Which path to take. And once you take that path, it's kind of like you can never go back in a sense. It's like it's not one of those paths of like, oh, I could do this, but if I decide to change, I'll go back to the other path. It's more like, no, if I choose this path, I have to live in that with the decisions going down this. It's like I've accepted the reality and I've just decided to move forward. And that internal acceptance is probably what will lead you. Um, like you have to like there's no more self-assurance or like looking to other people to like confirm what you're doing. It's more like you are like, oh, this is my path. I see it. I'm going to feel it. And I go. Yeah. And then like, this is not like a 10 years. This is like a lifetime. So that's interesting though. It's, I re- I'm so excited to do it. And I'm, and I think like, it's one of those experiences like we had mentioned, like, you know, the anticipation of doing it. Yeah. I think it's like, oh, the anticipation feels just as good or like, it's probably better than actually doing it. But I think it's like, probably, I think, I don't think that's right. I don't think that's true. I think like doing it and then on the other side of it, you're going to be like, fuck, it blew my expectations out of the water. Or like it made me see things in such a different way that like now I'm like truly fucked and yeah. either positive or negative. So, Well, the ironic, you get like an hour and turn, you're like, fuck, I wish I didn't do this. There's still <laughs> exactly. 11 hours left. <laughs> uh, that's that's what that guy said, the Colombian who tried. He was like, hi, oh, you did it. Again. It's actually his funny. The funny thing is, what guess it was his name. Is it Jake? As well? Yeah, it is. <laughs> it literally is Jake. So uh, he was like, "Oh, like he was um, right before I'm um, doing it." He was like, "Fuck it, Jake, you're doing it again." Well, it is scary because I mean, I'm assuming ayahuasca is, but DMT, like, I enjoy it. Like, again, I've talked to other people too. You kind of come to like terms with death, and it's peaceful, but not in a depressing way, which is mm-hmm. weird to be okay with death, but it's not depressing. Um, but I enjoy the experience, but it is always like, before I was always hesitant to do it again. I'm like, oh, I want to do it again. But then I'd like get up to it. And it's like, uh, maybe not today. And then unfortunately, like all the DMT I had got ruined. So now I want to do it and I don't have access to it, but it is, <laughs> I can see how you'd feel that way. It's like, it's like a roller coaster. You just have to like force yourself to get on. You're like, I'm going on this ride and whatever happens, happens. But yeah, it'll be interesting. And I do wonder how the logistics of it work because at least a DMT are like basically incapacitated. Like if you open your eyes, it's like the world looks so fucked up and like you kind of lose awareness of your body as well. So like mm. if you like need to puke or shit, like maybe, yeah, you can probably like raise your head and like puke in a bucket or something. But like, I don't think you're gonna be able to go up and like run to the bathroom if you need to. So maybe yeah. that's why people shit themselves with ayahuasca too. Because yeah. I guess you can't control it as much i mean i'm not i have to look into it a little bit more as like but it's like one of those things you read about it and then doing it it's like two different things it's like everything in life right it's so hard like yeah it's it's even harder to put into words than acid or at least dmt like it's so hard to articulate the feeling but yeah the hallucinations are crazy and just like you close your eyes and you feel like you're opening your eyes in like another dimension basically wow that sounds pretty cool yeah if we can ever get our hands on on dmt i'd i'd recommend trying it just to get like a taste of what ayahuasca probably will be like yeah oh i know a guy (laughs) (laughs) we'll see but one thing i was thinking about right so i think it's very important to decide like the timing of when 
we decide to do ayahuasca because I think that like you remember like that road of like that impasse that you reach after doing it of like saying am I going to go this route or that route I think it's going to be it could be a case where you need to take make that decisions no, no you need to make that decision right after doing it like yeah. in a, on a more immediate basis as opposed to like oh you oh I have 6 months that I'm going to do this but more like it's more like oh I come out of this okay I'm going down that route starting today, like starting right now or like starting like at the end of you, like that retreat or whatnot, you know? Yeah. Not like in the sense of like, I'm going to come back to what whatever reality I'm living in. I'm going to like have a plan of six months. And then after the six months, I'm going to do that. So I think that's something else like you have to mentally prepare for. But yeah. Cause like both have to. you're going to readjust to normal reality eventually. So you, mm-hmm. Yeah, once you make that decision, like acting on it while you're still in that like altered headspace, I think is a good idea. Like at least have the most impact is like trying to action whatever you learned from the trip while you're still kind of in that headspace from it. So it seems like after the bull market hits, hopefully we make our small fortunes or large fortunes. We've entered a whole new phase of life and then like doing that is like a way to get direction. Exactly. That's what I was thinking about too. So like Having our stable, like all of our gains, as stable coins on the side, we go, we go do it. And then after that, we're like ready for like the next bear market or whatnot. Or even if it could be a point where we both come out of it and we're like, yo, we don't want to do crypto anymore. It's like we have enough to be self sustainable. Like we could just do it. You just never know what comes out on the other side. So it could either reinforce certain things that you do want to do. Or make you re-examine it to just saying like, do I want to do something completely different? And whatever decision that you end up making, it's like, oh, okay, I, I could live with this. Or I could live with this new reality. But one thing I wanted to ask you, um, Dr. Ryan Theraband <laughs> had a video where he mentioned that the key to be happier, content. Like, I think happiness comes from being content with like, your decisions and how they fit into reality. Yeah. And he mentioned that one of the aspects of achieving that is conforming your reality to a reality that is in line with what you want in life. Like, you see what I mean? Or just kind of a little abstract. Yeah. It's like, uh, I've been grappling mentally with it. It's kind of like, Reality is reality. Like there's an objective reality that we either conform to or don't, right? But yeah. things are just going to operate and just going to keep going, right? But a lot of people, or like a lot of us in general, is just like we conform to our own subjective reality, right? Yeah. But through making those subjective decisions, we're still bound by like that objective reality, right? Yeah. So it's kind of like you have to architect your subjective reality in a way that is completely aligned with what you want out of life. Okay. So it's like, you, you might operate this way and just, you're just like, it's kind of like building of, it's kind of like building your values, like having very fundamental values, like a 10 commandments type of thing. And then living along those 10 commandments for your, for like the rest of, I, I'm trying to explain in a way that makes sense, but it's kind of like, like that where, you define clearly what you want out of life. 
Yeah. And then from that clear definition, living your life according to that 100%. Yeah. So you like, so I think I understand, like you have a long-term goal and you kind of have to work, like every decision you make has to be going to serve that long-term goal. Exactly. Like if you're like, I want to get really fit. Like if I want to be jacked and have a six pack and stuff like that, like my decisions need to align with that goal, that reality. Like if I won't have that goal, but I'm not exercising and I'm eating a pizza every day, like I'm not living by those values. I'm never going to achieve that reality or that goal that I want to achieve. And you're not going to be happy. Is that kind of like, uh, I'm trying to yes think. Yes and of, no. It's kind of like uh, I, the way he explains it. It's I, I like I'm still struggling with it mentally. Yeah. Uh, so it's like I wanted to ask you this just to like bounce ideas, really. But it's kind of in a way where what you're saying, yeah. But like you see, like with the exercise part, it has to be sustainable for a lifetime. You know. Okay. Like, so yeah. Like the decisions that you're saying, like I'm want to live by this ideal. It can't be like oh I like whether I'm sick or not type of thing, it has to be like, you can, it has to be sustainable for 10, 20, like your whole lifetime. Like, it has to be a lifestyle, not exactly. Just, like instead exactly. of a diet, like you need to have healthy eating habits. It's not like I'm going to only eat vegetables for 30 days type of thing. It's like, exactly. no, I need to eat a balanced diet that I enjoy that I can eat every day. Ex- yeah. That, actually yeah. that's the perfect way. That's like the perfect way to explain it. This, yeah. It, that your second, like the way you addressed it the second time was actually the perfect way. So you need to set up your life in a sustainable way that's always serving that goal or reality you want to exactly. achieve. Instead of having like these short-term bursts that's like, oh yeah, I can work out five hours a day for like three days, but am I going to be able to do that five times a week for the next 50 years? Probably exactly. not. So it's like, I need to, I'm going to take the stairs instead of the escalator whenever I see it. Like I'm going to get in the habit of running regularly. Like I'm going to make sure that I'm lifting heavy things at least so many times a week and make it some also probably has to be enjoyable to a certain extent too. So yeah. it is sustainable. Yeah. It has to align with what you want to get out of life, you know? Yeah. So it's, it's like a mind bend in certain ways because you start to like really assess what do I want? And also too, that's one of the aspects of doesn't a lot of the things that we want in life kind of change. So yeah. like, what like do you leave? How much room do you leave for change? And do you leave any room for change? Because you have to have like a very strict definition of like how you want to live life. So it, it it's really like a mind fuck in a couple ways. Yeah. Well, it almost seems like you need to leave it kind of vague. Like one thing would be easy of like, I want to have freedom. <laughs> and part of that would be like financial freedom and things like that. Um, and just like always having your actions work towards that goal of like achieving more and more freedom. So you're not, or at least like you're going to have responsibilities if you want a family and stuff like that. Like that's in a way restricting your freedom, but also could be giving you the most fulfillment in life. But just like always going towards your, whatever your definition of freedom is. Yeah. Like that could be like an overarching route. Like, yeah, it seems hard to keep it specific, but have it not change. Cause I mean, what you want when you're 25 is going to probably be vastly different than like what you want when you're 40. That is true. And also like different realities that, because you could, Create. Let's say you could create a reality for yourself that you would like, that you find enjoyable, and you're experiencing for, like you said, from 25 to 40. But what if at 40 there's just like a something outside of your control, 
that makes that reality like completely shift? Like how or how do you reassess? Because you had a very clear definition, with like you you had a very clear definition, and you followed it religiously, and now there's a break. Like there needs to be a change. Is it that are you going to be as willing or as able? Are you going to be able to change or adapt as well? Because you've been living a certain way for fifteen years, like you see what I'm trying to say. So yeah, kind of like, you kind of start ingraining yourself in a certain way, and then how do you shift? I mean, oh yeah, you like get in a rut and you get in a routine. I mean, I think it happens as we all get older. Like yeah, watching my grandfather is like such a creature of habit. Like he's in his routine. He gets up at eight o'clock every day. He like reads his paper, like all these things. And like I've noticed as I get older too, I've like started to establish more routines and like. I don't seem to maintain them for a super long amount of time, but I can like, if I was single and lived by myself, like during COVID, like my girlfriend and I were doing long distance and I was living alone and I got in like, I was doing the same routine every day, like exercise, like working on the things I wanted to work on. Um, and I could imagine if you were able to sustain that for like 20 years and then something changed to be like, it'd be a lot less adaptable than someone that's like constantly doing different things and like tweaking things and changing them. Exactly. day to day so like yeah you'd kind of lose the skill of adaptability if you did get into like a rigid routine for years on end yeah that's that i mean he says a lot of different things that some of them are like absolutely true and some of them is like yeah it's like i could do that but ah uh, maybe we think too much about it deep uh it, it's uh there's a lot of stuff that he says which is pretty cool um I think he, I think he has a lot of gems in there, but I think a lot of things are like this makes sense in like an ideal world, but like a lot of times things are out of your control or you're like you're already too far into a situation you're like, oh, this would have been nice to know at the beginning of the situation, but now I'm like that option's kind of out the window. It's like I could I could leave this relationship I'm in and start from scratch and implement this thing, but it's like yeah. would that actually make me happier? But I do think he has like a lot of wisdom in his videos and he has like, there are a lot of like eye opening things of like, Oh yeah, that does make sense. But like, I just never realized it. Yeah. Um, like I, like I'm still, I'm still learning a lot from him. I think that as one of the things Doug Casey mentioned that he said that recent in one of his recent videos is when we're young is to, take in as much knowledge, especially now, like as, as much good knowledge as possible and being able to leverage that for you to live like a good life for yourself. So um, I think learning as much as possible from Dr. Ryan Taraban and a lot of other people too could definitely give us more clarity as to like what we want out of life and things, actions that will lead us closer to that goal as opposed to like move us away from it. Yeah. Also something that's like helped me a lot in my life, especially like where I came from is just like being around a lot of old people a lot. Mm -hmm. Like you just naturally can learn a lot from people that have been around for longer than you, even if they sure. have a life that's completely different than what you'd want. You can be like, it's easier to identify. It's like, Oh, I don't want to like have terrible posture and like have my neck hang down like this when yeah. I'm like 70. It's like, Oh, I should probably exercise and stretch and make sure I'm not like fucking looking down at a screen all the time or like someone that, is 70 and regrets that they've never had kids and you're like oh yeah like maybe i don't want kids right now but like most people seem to feel fulfilled with having a family maybe i should give more thought to that instead of 
losing out on that opportunity and being like, oh, that's the biggest regret of my life. So I think that being young and being around old people um, is a really good way to, it's kind of like a time hack. You get to learn from like all their life experience without having to live through it and then just kind of incorporate yourself, which I think listening to Doug Casey is exactly that. Like he's a very old, wise guy yeah. and he's like answering these questions and like you get to learn from that. But um, yeah, I think that's been one of like the best educators just being surrounded by old people so much my whole life. Yeah, I definitely think you're right. Um, because um, one of the things is just that with youth is that this natural arrogance that we have where we just think we know everything or we just say that, you know, the world is so much different than it was in in previous times, which it is, is that's still true. But the thing is that also is still true is that wisdom goes beyond um, different times. It's just wisdom just is, and it just carries over and can be used at any interval. It doesn't matter if it's AI coming down. It doesn't matter. It All these different things that are going to change in our lifetime in terms of technology, um, our experience as humans, overall, especially moving forward, all these things are going to change. But at the end of the day, wisdom has always like prevailed throughout the history of time and probably still will. So a lot of times older people, I mean, a lot of old people do have, have no wisdom. Yeah. Just because <laughs> so, you're old does not mean you're a lot. But those people you can learn from because you're like, oh, exactly. that person's 70 and they're still an idiot and have no clue. It's like, exactly. I want to not, whatever they're doing is what I need to be doing the opposite. Exactly. So you, you, there's still wisdom to be gained, even from um, not the direct wisdom that you gain from listening to an old person who might have lived and understood and be able to tell you about what to expect. Um, and also, too, like one of those things is just not theoretical. It's more practical where they lived it and you start to like put the pieces together of like have other people lived this exact same experience and Yes, or like you start to examine other people's lives and you start to put the pieces to the puzzle together and you're like, oh, okay. So based off of this one wise person or a multitude of like people who are not so wise, you get to build out patterns as to what works more likely and what doesn't work. So you're able to kind of build that framework of just saying like, okay, if I do this, it'll, have, it'll work out more often than it doesn't. So just able to like kind of build off just like that. So that's, I always found that interesting. That's, I love old people, man. <laughs> yeah. And I like, um, kind of had this revelation too, of just like, you do learn all this stuff and you like never know when it's going to come in handy. Exactly. Either. Like there could be something you learned years ago and never use that piece of information. And then I think it all comes down to like how you react to situations on a moment by moment basis. And just constantly mm-hmm. like, fine tuning that of like being able to stay calm and think rational and yeah, like you can have all these insights and all this wisdom, but then if you can't execute when it actually comes to like the moment of action, it's like none of it was worth it. So kind of just like cultivating your mind as a tool that I don't know, can perform well, like in the moment when it needs to, if that makes any sense. Yeah, that definitely makes sense because what you just said, I think it goes down to the experience because you have the knowledge, but in real life, it's kind of like a person who could tell you, like a lot of people who've lived life and dated a bunch of people um, over 20, 30 years, they're telling you like, these are the common patterns, but guess what? That's like their own experience, right? Yeah. And if you go about like just like saying, oh, 
this person had it all figured out. It is what it is. I'm not just like not gonna date, and I'm just gonna go live my life in seclusion. Like you don't necessarily know um, about like if w- you have to go live your own life through your own experiences to either validate or um, disregard what you're saying. So yeah, you have to you have to live yourself. So like that's the experience and knowledge have to come together in order for you to actually be able to understand what was told to you. Like you, you can know, but the understanding I think only comes through experience. Yeah. And every, all the knowledge you get from people is also just kind of a guide as well. Cause every situation is unique. Like no one, no one has ever lived on October 23rd, 2023. Like that's tomorrow. Like, yeah, just because there could be a very similar situation that someone lived through in 1990 and you could be living through that situation now, but there's so many other outside factors just with the timing and every person's individual and stuff like that. It's like, it could seem like a very parallel situation, but it could play out completely different just because it's a different time and no one's ever been here before. Cause every, every moment's a new thing. So even though you might have like a really strong analog or like another guide, it doesn't mean it's going to play out that way. So yeah, it's just like at a certain point, following your own gut in the moment and being like just doing whatever you think is the best decision. Cause that's, all you can do and you're going to make mistakes sometimes. And that's usually like what you learn the most from is when you do do something wrong. Yeah. I think just like a big emphasis, especially in Western culture, I guess from the U S especially for us working in the corporate world where there's like a pervasive fear to make mistakes. And that gives you, you want to always be like on point. You want to have to like, when somebody asks you the question or something, you have to like, you know, the answer right away and you're, you're able to, back that with like rigid um it's not only opinion it's just like rigid facts yeah data exactly it's like who like you ask a question like here's it is like you're kind of like a chat gpt (laughs) but one of the aspects that i think makes the human experience what it is is just like you have to make mistakes learn from them and then be able to cultivate what you learn from like those mistakes or failures in order to move forward because i don't think you could actually move forward in fear of making mistakes. Yeah, I think yeah. It, you might move forward, but I think it delays. Like it, it's like a, it's kind of like if you're like a, a basketball, maybe a basketball is not the right example. Um, something that was gonna move anyways, right? And the fear, the fear of making mistakes paralyzes you. So maybe even if you move, let's say you were to move, like the destination is like ten feet away, um, like if you were to go move to that destination within like 20 miles per hour, like by making a mistake, because like maybe you stopped and then like, okay, I'm trying to like formulate it. It's like you're trying to get to a destination. It's going to be harder for you to get to that destination. If you, if you're going to be paralyzed by so many different things like fears and whatnot, because you're, you're trying to be right about everything. You're trying to time everything together in order for you to move forward as opposed to just like going forward and then like, learning from whatever mistakes or something that might happen along that road because they probably will propel you to like find better ways to just like keep going forward or like expedite um, how far you're going to get you know expedite your track in order to for you for you to get to that final destination does that make sense yeah so like trying to avoid anticipate and avoid the mistakes is going to like really slow you down because like all of it's theoretical. Like you're trying to avoid things that haven't gone wrong yet. Exactly. Whereas if you just push ahead and make the mistakes, you're like, Oh, obviously that doesn't work. I should do it this way. And it's just a lot. 
you get that immediate feedback. You're living in reality and you can calibrate a lot quicker than like all these hypotheticals in your brain of like, I don't want to make this mistake of you should just push forward, make the mistake and recalibrate based on that. And it's going to be a lot faster than just like being super cautious and exactly trying to avoid any failure. And I think school kind of really ingrains that in us. Like it does. You fail a test. I mean, trying to think because like when I was going through school, I think that's when they started like letting kids like retake stuff. Like if you fail the test, you could retake it and stuff to like improve your grade. And I remember Mm -hmm. a lot of parents are like, oh, that's like bullshit. Like if you fail something, like you shouldn't get to retake it. But like it makes sense if you fail at something in real life, it's not just like, oh, that's over. You never get to do it again. Like it is better to fail and then learn from your mistakes. Like if you get to retake the test and like you have to actually go back and study and figure out what you got wrong and then Uh relearn it and stuff like, I think that's how school should be set up. You should be encouraged to fail. It's not the end of the world. Like you get to learn where your weak spots are and what you should be focusing on. Because if you are passing everything, you're probably not being challenged and you're not actually growing. Like exactly failing is identifying where you're weak. So then you can, strengthen those things instead of just like only playing to your strengths and completely ignoring your weaknesses which yeah i think like learning music has been super helpful for that of like you don't want to practice like if you already know a song you don't want to just like practice it over and over there's not really you're not really learning anything like if there's a song that you constantly mess up or there's a part of a song that you mess up like that's the part that you need to work on until that's easy and then once you get to that point then you move on to something else that's hard Mm -hmm. and it's just like finding that sweet spot of something that's not like so hard that it's completely unachievable and like discouraging, but not something that's super easy that you can just breeze through it. And I think that applies to life of like finding that edge of your ability where like maybe you're failing 50% of the time and then just like really working hard at that area to make that strong. And then that thing that was previously too hard to work on now might be that edge. And that's how you can improve instead of just like staying in your comfort zone or like blindly trying stuff that's way outside your ability and then getting discouraged and going back to your comfort zone. Hey, you're right about that. And you gave me a flashback as to how we reinforce that, that mindset of, Oh, just play through your strengths. Because I remember back in 2019, I worked for this part-time for this not-for-profit and we had this training and in that training, there was like a study that was brought up. It said, the the director, she said, Harvard says that you should play to your strengths because it's easier and will probably lead to better long-term results to focus on what you're good at and like refining those as opposed to like trying to improve on your weaknesses. And I always, I found that like it was a mental, I think it was like mentally being dishonest in a way where it's like, okay, you could get better at your strengths. Yeah, like what is like the upside? Okay, let's say you're very good at something like 80%. Getting to 85, 90, 95, like there's like 5%, 10% increments that you could get better at. Great. But what about like if you're like 10% at one other thing that you're very weak at? Like the exponential growth that you go from being 10% to like 50%, yeah. it's much. it has like a much higher return than like that refining what you're already good at. So, so it goes back to exactly what you're saying. Is that we're, like the culture is reinforcing bad ideas. So like the most, the highest authority on the land in terms of Harvard, like somebody yeah. says Harvard to you. This is like, um, like 
if you say like the Catholic Church or the Pope, like it's very recognizable wherever you go in the in the world. They say Harvard in China, they know it in China. You say Harvard yeah. in Africa, they know it. Like so the institution that is given the authority of being like one of the highest most prestigious institutions like coming out with a paper saying something like that reinforces like bad idea. it's not like a terrible idea but it's bad in the sense of like if you're just gonna go follow it blindly which a lot of people do yeah i have a couple thoughts on that so yeah like i feel like people discourage like minimize the effects of like diminishing returns like you're saying like if you're already at like the 80th percentile of something like again going back to music if you're like already in the 80th percentile of like violin players exactly going from like the 80th percentile to like the 99th percentile is going to take a ton of work mm-hmm. and probably most people would not be able to tell the difference like only other people that are in like the 90th percentile would even be able to tell the difference there but if like you're in the 10th percentile of playing guitar and you go from 10th percentile to like 50th percentile that's going to take substantially less work and it's going to be more noticeable to more people exactly and just like Going from a beginner to intermediate and stuff, like in any skill, is a lot of work, but I think it's probably the same or less work than going from like intermediate to expert. And for most things, unless you're like trying to be a doctor or like a leading researcher in some like specific area, I think you're going to get more value out of going from a beginner to intermediate than intermediate to like expert in most skills or fields. And then about the Harvard thing, just being like more in the corporate world and like being in sales and marketing, I feel like so many stats and stuff are just complete bullshit. That's like, it is. It was one study with 10 people and it was like fucking based off a survey or some bullshit. And then like people start rattling off these numbers. Like I know a lot of the marketing shit that we sent on, like where is this number coming from? We're like exactly. changing it from email to email. There's no study <laughs> done and fucking everyone's doing it. And just like, I am so skeptical of like what is true anything. Yeah. Like any stat that's thrown out there, unless there's like some long paper where even that I'm going to read like the fucking abstract <laughs> of it. Like, yeah, I think most statistics and stuff are just complete bullshit. And it's so abstract too. It's like, it's going to lead to better results in what, like whatever that, whatever you said was like, so abstract. It's like, that's open for interpretation. Like, is it going to lead to having a happier life? Is it going to lead to just having more money? like like getting further in your field like what if what you're naturally good at you don't enjoy and what you're bad at is something you deeply want to like actually invest your time in yeah like so it's yeah those are those are my two cents on those things (laughs) i definitely think you're right because when it comes to i think as a data guy or stats guy in general like i mean that's what i studied in college i don't necessarily like it where it's like I think that there's an aspect of a way of thinking and probabilities, which is helpful to everyone. Yeah. Um, of like, if I do this, what is the likelihood of me getting what I want? So is it 80% and kind of like doing things that are more aligned along those mental calculations that you do. It's like, if I do this, I'm more likely to get that. So I'm going to do that. Or it might not work this time, but I could do it again or try to replicate it until it'll probably get me the desired outcome. Because... More likely than not, this is what's going to happen. But a lot of the times in general, we have like all these numbers that the people throw at us, like 80% of the time, 90%, 80 uh, all these different things. And you're just like, how do I back this up? Yeah. <laughs> how, how was this backed up? Um, and once you start to dig into it, you start seeing like it's all fallacies. Like you mentioned, it's, like, it's only 10 people. 
can 10 people represent a whole population? Yeah. <laughs> people with different cultures, values, um, speak different languages. Like, how could you really, how could you really extrapolate that to that point? Um, large amounts of data, like, like in the millions and tens of millions, probably will do a better job, but also too, there's certain other cultural influences too. So there's commonalities that you can find through data, but it's limited and also moving forward, especially like how AI relies a lot on like historical data and like vast amounts of data. Um, we'll see. I mean, whatever comes out of it is always going to be imperfect, just like everything. So it's not necessarily going to be a point, in my opinion, where um, AGI or something like that is going to be like this. It's probably going to be all-knowing in the sense of it knows way more than a lot of people, but it's not going to be to the point where it's going to tell us the like the meaning of life because that is an answer that no, I don't think anyone can answer that. I could see it giving us the meaning of life, but it's probably not going to be accurate. Like right now, AI will tell you like, very convincing sounding answers exactly. to almost anything. It's just a complete hallucination that like, then you got to check it and it's like, none of this is true. Like what the fuck <laughs> is it talking about? Which I think a lot of people don't realize, like I just had a training at work this week of um, this tool we have that like, write that helps with like writing cold emails and stuff. And they just implemented chat GPT into it. And they're like, Oh, chat GPT is not like the best for writing emails, but it's really good for doing research and stuff. And I'm like, it can be good for research, but like if you just blindly follow it, like all of this stuff could be completely wrong. And then you're exactly. like, like he asked for the most obscure um, title of people that we like reach out to. And then someone said a title and he like, he's like, what are the top 10 pain points for this title or whatever? And it like it instantly gave them to us and we didn't double check it or anything, but it's like, mm-hmm. he didn't even dig into like what AI hallucinations were. And he was, He's trying to throw out big words of like saying large language models. He's like, oh, I'm not going <laughs> to dig too deep into large language models or any of this. I'm like, I'm pretty sure you don't understand how they work. But um, <laughs> but he's like, yeah, so you can just use this research, which I mean, it all sounded solid. I didn't take the time to check it because it was just like a 25 minute workshop. But I'm like, this could be completely wrong. And then you're sending it to someone that's like actually an expert in this field. Yeah. So it's it like, yeah, it can save you time. But then you're going to probably have to spend just as much time going back and making sure all this information is correct exactly. before you send it to this expert. And then they're like, what the fuck are you talking about? Like, <laughs> you're obviously not an expert in this field. So like, why would I give you my time to like, look at your product? Yeah, you're right about that because it, it could give you a very convincing picture. And then at the end of the day, you're like, this is actually very inaccurate. Um, it could be used for a lot of good things though. It could, because I think the best part is if you, you you have to couple it with like internet research and you have to have like a certain baseline of understanding. Yeah. And then it's you have to bring a lot of different things together in order for it to be useful. And once you do that, you're at a point where you're like, okay, this is a very great technology like to, to be used for a lot of different things. But just to follow it blindly, like anything in life, probably is going to lead you down the wrong road. I wonder if... There must be people working on like how to solve the like hallucination problem. Like you think that someone could kind of like design a system that like it feeds the same prompt to like chat GPT and Claude too. And then I think Llama is like the open source uh, large language model they have. And like 
get the answers from all of them and see how much of the information is the same across all of them. Uh, and then kind of give you like 80% of this data was like across all three models. Like we have high confidence that this might be correct type of thing. Hmm. Like, I wonder if anyone's working on building something like that, because it would be nice if you could just ask the AI and like trust it. Cause I mean, I feel like we just blindly trust Google, which now that I think about it more, it's like, we probably shouldn't trust stuff we read on the internet as much as we do, especially now with AI and like probably so many people are just like writing their articles with AI and then posting it. And then you're like, Oh, well, <laughs> Google says it. And it's at the top search results from the Washington post. So it's probably correct. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I hope people are working on syst- systems to like make sure things are more accurate. But then again, like what is objective reality and like who does know the ultimate truth and like all these fact checkers and stuff like who's checking the fact checker and yeah it's just it's... tough but i guess with sales and stuff like if you weren't hitting on pain points that these people know about personally like as long as you make it sound convincing yeah it's pro- probably good enough as long as you can also trick them <laughs> trick them i'm the one to solve all your problems it's like <laughs> oh okay um you did have a very convincing argument through whatever you sent me through <laughs> chat GPT. And the next thing you know, you're like, what the fuck was chat GPT talking about? <laughs> and I got to go figure out what their, what chat GPT said in order for me to tailor it and actually deliver on what was <laughs> promised to the customer. So I'm so sure this happened to a lot of people. It seems like a lot of people are leaning into like, Oh, chat GPT can do most of my job in sales, which I think it kind like on the surface, it seems like it can, but then yeah, there's like, these underlying hallucinations and stuff like that that make it so you can't. <laughs> you gave me a, a, a funny a funny story my mom told me the other day. So um, there was something wrong with her chat GPT. So I don't know, probably it was some system update and she uses the free one. So since I use, you have the paid version too or no? Yeah, I, I got it just for Dolly 3, but I haven't really used it much since the first couple days. Okay. Oh, so... Oh yeah, 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 yeah. I see what you mean. Um, so, I I usually don't have any issues whenever it comes to using ChatGPT. Um, since we both have the paid version, you're not gonna encounter as many issues as people who use like the three point five. Yeah, um, the widely accepted um accessible one. And she was having issues with ChatGPT, and I'm like, oh, just go use Claude. Claude is fairly good, right? And she, she started using Claude and she started liking it. She's like, oh, I like Claude better. And then she's been using it in order for her to study certain parts of um, one of her classes, which is taxes. And she asked Claude a question as in like, this particular section, explain it to me. Or like this particular code, like tax code, explain it to me. So Claude comes out hallucinating like crazy. <laughs> provides like this long detailed like explanation of like the tax code blah 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 and then she had like a vague idea of what the tax code was but she was reading Claude and was like wow I never really thought about it this way (laughs) and then she's like you know what let me go double check and she she checks it and then it was like completely different Claude fucked up like it's like it's not even like a like a, a fuck up between saying like 75th street and like 76 um 77th it was more like saying like 75th street in manhattan and like 75th no no like 90th street in russia it's like (laughs) completely out of left field really so um so it goes back to your point of like 
yeah, we have these systems that sound great, but let's say we start relying too much on them. Like, what is actually going to ever be true? It's like, we can't rely on Google because it relies on ChatGPT and it relies on ChatGPT or like Claude or any of them. They have um, delusions. <laughs> like they, they create these illusionary things and then the illusionary things we're relying on. It's like the levels of of how fucked up things it could get. Yeah, it could, just, it could it just could, completely destroy all of our data, basically. Because exactly. like, it can generate so much more, so much quicker. Mm-hmm. And then like that gets fed into Google. And then that the Google yeah. results get fed into ChatGPT5. And then <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's just like a cycle. <laughs> it's a recursive like shitstorm of like, yeah. bad things. Instead of, yeah, instead of automating self-improvement, it's like automating getting worse. Um, I think I mentioned this on one of our first episodes, too, of like for my girlfriend's book club. Mm-hmm. She hadn't had the chance to read one of the books. So I'm like, oh, and I think this is when it was chat GPT-3 or 3.5 as before 4 came out. Mm-hmm. But I asked it to like give me a chapter by chapter summary for this book. And this book came out in like 2017 or something. So okay. I think it was like when... It was before they like had cut off the date for whatever data they collected. Mm-hmm. Gave me a super detailed like chapter by chapter stuff, and then like, oh, do you want this? She's like, no, I don't want any spoilers. Like, I'll end up reading it. So she read the book, and then after I like asked her some of the plot points, and like the characters weren't even right. It was completely different. Like, <laughs> and it said it was the same book by the same person, but like completely different story. But it sounded super convincing. Yeah. Um, so it can just, and it's scary how convincing it is. Yeah. And then. I think it's also scary that like lazy people are more likely to use chat GPT for more and they're less likely to doubt it or check these things. Yeah. And just like, was it the Dunning Kruger effect? Like the less, you know, the more confident you are. Yeah. And I feel like probably a bunch of like free users that know very little about chat GPT or like large language models, which I mean, I barely know anything about it, but I know enough to like, know not to fully trust it. Yeah. But I feel like, people like that are probably like using it for their jobs to like write articles and write reports and write all this shit. And then it's just like, I guess the population in general isn't realizing this and probably a ton of this like hallucinated false information is just getting like fed into our society without us knowing. And just, it'll be interesting to see what the like long-term effects of that are. Like imagine if your mom had just like, Oh yeah, I never thought of it that way. And then just like went along with it and stuff like (laughs) Could have like sabotaged her, like her whole class, and like made her seem like an idiot or something like that. So like, so it's nice that she like at least had the thought to be like, huh, maybe I should go double check that. And like, oh, this is complete bullshit. Yeah, exactly. Um, I think probably one of the better aspects that I'll I'll give ChatGPT Claude, um, good. I'll give them like a pat on the back for. It's just like let's say you upload a document that already has all of the text and then you ask it questions about like about the document itself then it'll be able to generate possible answers and also to whenever they it generates something ask it for like specific quotes to back up the yeah. statement so that way it could be used for better understanding because let me tell you something about work <laughs> so i did something similar where i had this question that was asked and i was like I needed to understand these forms, so I, I like fed it to Claude, and then like Claude provided answers, and I was like, "I'm not necessarily too sure, but I think it's right." 
<laughs> so I provide, I like, I use like Claude, I use my own thinking, but like, you know, I'm unsure, Claude's unsure, and I'm bringing it together. Actually, I was close. I, I, like, Claude and I were, we were wrong, but we had some points. <laughs> but it took an expert in order for us to, like, really, um, like, somebody who actually understands things much better in order for us to, like, just be like, okay, yeah, we're, we were fucking completely off. So, but it, it, it kind of goes to the other point of just, like, how we're going to still need experts in order to like validate or discredit whatever we say. So um, it's going to be interesting how things go. Like you said, long-term, will it force be, will it get to the point? I think everybody's concern is always like, oh, it's going to get so good. It's going to replace me, but it's probably going to replace you if you're like crap, (laughs) whatever you do. But because like probably the, the crap version of it versus the crap version of you them is probably going to be better than you. And then we're probably going to rely on experts to either validate whatever answer, chat GPT or whatever other platform um, is still around like five, 10 years from now. So it's going to be interesting. Yeah. It seems like an AI human combo is like the yeah. way to go. Like you still need a human to kind of keep a check on the AI, but the AI, if used correctly by like someone that knows how to operate, it can like mm-hmm. really augment your output, which is like, I had a, a sales call with someone this week that said that they like completely um, replaced their outbound business development team with AI already. Oh, wow. And I'm like, Jesus, I've seen the technology. It does not seem like it's certain. Like how do you have the confidence to do that already? And like, I get all these ads too for companies being like, we can replace your business development um, representatives and stuff with AI. But <laughs> like I've yet to encounter an AI that seems advanced enough to do that without making like massive mistakes often. So I don't know. It just surprises me how many companies are like already putting their faith in. Yeah. Already putting their faith into it when it does not seem like the technology is there yet. You're definitely right. Because I think it's kind of like a trend thing with everything. It's like like AI really popped off early this year, like late last year, early this year, people are like, Oh my God, let's just jump on top of it. But I think that's a fundamental mistake for now. If you haven't necessarily been building it out for years, then what are you doing, like, jumping into it right now? Um, there's, like, a big knowledge gap that exists. And long-term, we still have, don't know the long-term ramifications of that. But I think there's going to be an overcorrect, no, over, it's not overcorrection per se, but, like, overextension. A lot of people are just going to say, oh, my God, like, like that guy. He's like, I'm going to replace all my salespeople. Like, some companies are going to be like, we're going to do the exact same thing. Yeah, and then it's gonna lead to less sales and like a lot of fucked up shit. Like maybe it's growing pains where they necessarily need to go through it in order to like see the other side. But you know how companies are; we need to keep profit, so they like they're gonna overcorrect and rehire everybody they fired. And then from there, like, probably the technology is gonna be at the point that it's actually gonna be good enough. And then they're gonna be skeptical of it. Exactly, they're gonna yeah. be skeptical of it, and it's actually it's gonna have you have this great technology, but nobody's using it anymore. They're like, we learned our lesson, but it's like you went too early, dummy. Yeah, it's just like it's just like crypto. It's like everyone's buying in in the bull market, and that's gonna retrace, and then yeah, that, exactly. like it'll actually get to the point where you should be using it. And it's like, oh well, it actually fucked us over in twenty twenty three. So exactly, yeah. Seems like that happens with most technologies. Everyone 
<laughs> gets too hype. Yeah. God, the overpromising, especially in AI, like the tools I've seen is it's insane. Yeah, and one thing I would this remember like that guy I kept mentioning, the um Dr. Ben Gortso, the one who's has that Sophia robot. Oh yeah. So he recently came out with a post, probably like two weeks ago, and he was talking like I think it was a post on X, formerly known as Twitter. <laughs> I have to come. I like I think for some reason I want to say it like that way. <laughs> so um he put out a post saying that within the next decade or so, I think it was a post about money. And he was saying that, oh, within the next decade or so, money is not necessarily going to be a a big issue for humanity. We're going to get to the point where we transcend money. And I was like, okay. And then he was like, yeah, so there's a lot of um, issues that we face in society right now that we won't necessarily face anymore. Like my daughter, because I think he's in his 50s, but he has a young daughter, like, probably like below 10. And he was just saying that that his daughter will, there's a lot of diseases that she won't necessarily worry about because we're going to have it all figured out and blah, blah, blah. Like he's throwing like a a utopia version. Yeah, he has a lot of faith. I mean, there are probably a lot of diseases that don't exist today that she'll have to worry about that. Exactly. Genetically engineered. (laughs) Exactly. So he's throwing all these different things. And I'm like, yeah, it sounds good. Like the utopia version is like, oh, yeah. That sounds pretty cool. But in the grand scheme of things, how things have always gone in society, we always like to aspire for a utopia. But what's most likely going to happen is uh, the human condition is undefeated. So a lot of the things that we thought were, we were going to be, be able to solve, like new issues are going to come out, like you just mentioned. Like there's this new disease that AI can't figure out how to like cure yet. Yeah, um, or was, AI creates a disease. Exactly. Like someone creates a disease with AI that can't be cured. Exactly. So there's all, the, and then also to the human biology, it's still fairly, even though we know a lot, way more than we knew in the past, there's still so much that we don't know. So Yeah. Um, yeah, there's a lot of things that are unpredictable that are probably going to happen where we will most likely never get to the point of true utopia. Wait, what about mental diseases? How do you, what, like all these different things? Like how do you solve that? Like, yeah, I I thought about mental disease a lot during my trip too. Of like, what is a mental disease? Like, yeah, I feel like society, like to live in the society, is almost like everyone just bought into the same mental disease. Like, oh yeah, like someone with autism that like can't fit into society because they like always have to point out the obvious or like can't deal with like the overstimulation, like over stimulation and stuff like that's like Mm -hmm. is that actually a mental disease or is that how we're actually all supposed to be but like we're all we can all just conform to this absurd reality that we've created so i don't know it's just like who had like who gets to define what is a mental disease or not i don't know just the thought of that was like the history of mental diseases too like how like women would used to be like, oh, they're hysterical or things like that. Like all these things that we used to do, like we'd lobotomize people and just like <laughs> got a yappy misses. Yeah. It's just like, so, so abstract. It's like, who gets to decide what's a mental disease and what's just like someone's personality that doesn't like fit in that isn't convenient for everyone else type of exactly. thing. Exactly. So also robots freaked me out, but 
We're over yeah. the two hour mark and I got to. Yeah, for sure. We'll, we'll have plenty to talk about on the next episode as yes, well. You have me. Oh, damn. Like the amount of clipping I'm going to have to do is that crazy. I know we're doing these long episodes. Yeah. yeah. Uh, AI eventually will be able to do it. Oh, yeah. Hopefully. I mean, with what we have so far is fucking shit. But yeah. hopefully give it a couple iterations. Yeah, it definitely will get to that point. So it's just going to be a matter of just us being like, yeah, can you rewind that a little bit? Yeah, that stopped right there. Cut. And where Jake says this, there we go. That's one clip. And then they'll automate most of that. So yeah, hopefully yeah. sooner than later. But analyze meantime, what is the most interesting stuff and then just edit all that together. Oh, yeah. That's, oh, yeah. I, I just like for the what I'll do is like I'll export the text file, feed it to Chad GPT and have it ask. And then I'll ask it to clip all of the like from all of the text, make it clippable from... Oh, that's a good oh, idea. Actually, yeah, you just gave me that idea. Yeah, I'll do that. And then like from there, you'll probably give me like the different segments that we could clip. And then from there, it's just a matter of me going into Veed and just being like, okay, from one to three, one to four, what... Yeah, so damn, yeah. I just Yeah, that'll be cool that. if that works. Um, that I'll try it. Reminds me of one last quick thing. I saw a thing of um, now that... ChatGPT has like vision abilities. Some laboratory, I think it might have been Microsoft actually, like they can now feed AI images into ChatGPT and then have it analyze the image and like create a prompt mm -hmm. from that. And then they can feed that into Stable Diffusion XL. So, like an open source model. And mm -hmm. now they can get images from Stable Diffusion that are like almost as good as Dolly 3 using an older model Whoa. just because ChatGPT is so much better at doing the prompting so like without actually changing the model they enhanced its capabilities just from the prompt so like they were getting like actual cohesive text out of stable diffusion which is like almost impossible before just because now chat gpt knows how to analyze images and explain it in a way that makes sense to other ai models which is cool but it's also it's like what happens when these separated ai tools start interacting with each other in like unpredictable ways and they like yeah. start gaining like um, emerging abilities that we didn't anticipate, which is kind of scary, but also kind of cool. Yes, that sounds amazing. And also scary at the same time. Yeah, it's like, oh, now this AI can see, this one can hear, this one can do that, and now they're communicating, and now it's like, oh, did we have an HEI. Did you try the voice? Uh, I, ha I haven't actually tried, I haven't tried the vision or the voice. Have you, have you tried the voice? Yeah, it's actually pretty cool, but... I don't know. I don't trust it yet because I can't use it without turning on my history. Oh. So I'm like, I don't want to necessarily like talk too much to it because <laughs> like I don't want this to be fed to chat GPT. But it's pretty cool. Like it's like getting to the point of like that realization that we both had where it's gonna be a point where in the near future we could just have like a you when they have like a little robot version, like a humanoid version of a robot feed it have like this inside of it and then you could just have a regular conversation like let's say down the line you pass away right but i feed it all of the information that we talked about yeah like, oh we create jake's personality and then it's like able to do that and i'm yeah. like jake never left but he didn't die it's like all right like do that for pete and then like you're like pete never died he was still he's still here it's like wow well, I had a thought of that too, of like scamming in the future, like companies manipulating us. Like, 
I think I'm talking to you right now, like you're still alive. I think we're talking yeah. right now, but it's actually just an AI that I'm talking to. Yeah. And it's manipulating me or like it's mining me for like passwords and stuff like that. Like, yeah, with deep fake technology. Yeah, <laughs> like with all this deep fake technology, it's like, oh, all of our podcasts are publicly available. It fed all that in, synthesized yeah. your voice. It knows what you look like from like social media stuff. Yeah. And now I'm talking to an AI and I think I'm talking to you in real time. And it's just like mining me for data. Yeah, um, it's like I have to like put a verifier of who I am. Yeah, we have, to have like a when secret password we only say in person away from all exactly recording like, devices. Every time we meet in a for a podcast, if if I don't say it, then it's it's not me. And we have to like go out into the woods and leave our phone, so it's like <laughs> yeah. not recorded. Um, is that speech feature? Is it available on the mobile app, or do you have to be on desktop? No, it's available on the mobile app. Oh, I'll have to check it out then. Yeah, because the thing I didn't like about the Dolly Three is you can only do it on the desktop. It's annoying that you can't do it on the mobile version or oh, last also, time I checked. Oh, okay. And also too, for the voice version, um, there's an aspect of it's, it's like talking to it. It gets, it's, it's fairly early. You'll probably correct it. Like, let's say you're talking to it and then you take like certain pauses, like right now. Oh, it, 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 it start talking. Exactly. It starts talking, like responding. So I think it's going to have to get to the point of like understanding when somebody's done talking or like the way that somebody talks in general is it's probably does have to be some customizations because the way that you speak and I speak is are different because maybe like I, when I speak, I take certain pauses yeah. and you speak, you might not take pauses or like you might take it at the delayed interval. So things like that are probably going to be refining the system over time. But right now you start talking to it, it's going to get to the point of just saying like, Oh, and let me just start responding to this guy right now. They should make like a walkie-talkie where you have to like say over at the end of your sentence and I'll start oh, yeah. responding. That's true. It's like over. <laughs> and your truckers. Oh, yeah. So let me. Yeah. Oh, are we doing the thing? Oh, wait. The end. The end. What, just the sound? Wait. Are we. Wait, do we have like an outro? Are we going to say something and then the sound? Or are we just like us being like, all right. I we're think done it's with the like, podcast. Yeah, I think we're just done, and then you make the sound, and we. Oh, okay, uh, okay, okay. Should we leave this in? Yeah, I just leave that in. Okay. Well, we'll <laughs> see you next time. <laughs> Damn it, I messed up. Damn I it. think it's a perfect ending. <laughs> uh...